0: now we're here (sighs) hello rich scheidner
1: hello vicky abelson
0: wow okay you know what was your name what was what
1: your maiden name my boy what was your name
0: (laughs) when you were born it's just the two of us again. I just had to take it public now. We'll see if everybody can find us. What was my maiden name? Yeah. Well, I was born Vicki Katz. Um, but then I was Vicki uh, Keats, my professional name. Then I was Vicki Mindenhall, then I was Vicki Abelson, and you
1: know my Mindenhall was your first was Mindenhall your first husband?
0: Mindenhall was my first husband. How many times have you been married,
1: Rich? Let's go there. Three times. Three times.
0: How long have I'm you been married? My be- third marriage. How long has this one been?
1: I've, I've known her, i uh, been, been with her pretty much most of the time since 2003. I knew oh, her, right. I, met, I met her first in 1986.
0: Stop it. Was yeah. she a comic?
1: No, no, she's in recovery. So, you met in the rooms? Oh, I'm, uh, Let me tell you something. After my first marriage, right? Yeah. <laughs> there was a woman I really liked, very, very nice woman, very smart. She was a, a, a director um, uh, for a television show that we all know, not necessarily news. And, um, <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember that show. It was great. Yeah. Right. So, we were going out, a great time. And all of a sudden, she said, she, she's the one who reminded me this. She said, I think I want to try doing it and do stand up comedy. And she said, the kids were called ghosted. She goes, you are gone so fast. <laughs> so I heard her say, she wanted to be a comic. And I went, no, 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 been there, I've been there. Not going down that trail again. <laughs>
0: okay, so we have to talk about that a little bit because it's so, it's so fantastical that you were married to a stand-up comic that everybody knows. Carol, yeah. I was married to a stand-up comic that not everybody knows, but some people know, a lot of people know.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so i don't even know where to start with it we now we're in the marriage zone how, how, how did you meet carol when did you when did you guys meet
1: well i came uh, from washington dc to uh new york city in the spring of 1979 and carol was on the scene so uh, we became friendly i mean we were friendly uh for probably six months before things moved in another direction i guess you'd see her around. Work the sets together, you know. Improv, catch a rising star, comic strip, the little triangle there, and um, some Jersey gigs, stuff like that. And then one night, um, we were at a place called the UK Club. Uh, God, where was that?
0: There,
1: UK Club was an after-hours club down in the Village. It was great. I had, I loved it. it had pinball machines and, and a great jukebox. And it was just a, it was a mob-owned after-hours joint. You know, to go there there's always a Coke dealer at the bar. It was always, it was like, they were on duty. They, they worked shift work. What do you, you know, you got three to four, you got four to five. They were, they were, there was always party favors and whatnot there. And uh, we just, um, you know, one of those deals where we went home together and then we were together from then on pretty much.
0: So ha- and how long were you and Carol together?
1: Uh, so from then, whatever that was until, uh, we split up in. um, officially uh, in, in sometime in 85.
0: So you were together for a while. So when you guys were together and you were both up and coming, that was like the time when Carol was also coming up with Jerry, right? And she became pivotal she, in that. She,
1: yeah, she'd gone out with Jerry, Paul Reiser, and Bill Maher before I got there. I, oh. I know for sure, so.
0: So is it true that Carol? You know, Carol's done my my show. She hasn't done this show, but she's done Women Who Ride a bunch of times, and uh, a few times. And um, she's Elaine, right? She was Elaine. Yeah. I don't know. No. I
1: don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I'm no. not. I'm not Larry David, and Jerry Seinfeld. I was not there.
0: Okay. I have, All no right.
1: I, I have no idea. who is who.
0: Was it challenging?
1: Good. I thought, they na- I thought they sort of modeled after Mary Todd Lincoln. That's who I thought that there was. That's <laughs> I just, I just the way I saw the character, that's all.
0: Oh, we're screwed. You know, I'm looking over here because it didn't send people notifications. Uh, a few people found us, but not even half the people that were on before when we were on for that. Anyway, it is what it is. You know what? It is what it is. And I'm just gonna have to let go and let
1: it go. Here we are, here we are.
0: We're gonna have here a we good are. And, you know, the handful of people that found
1: us. Will, uh, <laughs> Namaste, whatever. whatever. <laughs> We're gonna that's have just a time. In here right now. Here right now in this moment. Which moment? That moment? No, this moment. The one's coming. That moment. Grab it. that's gone. Give me another moment. Got a moment. I'm in the moment. 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 Hey, oh, got moments coming. Yeah, moments coming through. Coming through in a moment.
0: <laughs> so all right. Um, so the 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 ring light is. To your to your left, so yeah, yeah, oh, oh. yeah. I'm I'm just giving you the heads up because you don't want that thing blocking people's view. That the seven people that can find. Oh no, it's oh you turned it off completely. Look at you, and you don't no, even. I
1: moved it. it. I moved it. You know, I, I've uh, I've been around the sets quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> uh, I know lighting and staging and sound. So you know, for, the, for those of you that are going to come, come on this show, actually. Earned. Go ahead. And I can't believe it for this today. <laughs> this I'm is, here. Yeah,
0: this has really been a trip. So for those of you out there that was wondering what was going on, I was trying to get us on here with Zoom, and Zoom would it has a new interface. What kept saying we were going public, and then I'd go live, and it would say we were in public. So we tried to do it on the phone, like I did with Cindy. And so now we went live on Zoom and nobody got the notification. So those of you that were kind enough to find us, look. So it's just us, a little modest group of us, but we're gonna have a good time. Um, I remember Rich from tons of things. Yes, of course you do. Um, we're going to talk about many of those things. Cindy Beagle wrote on, uh, all the Gary Marshall shows on Laverne and Shirley and Morka Mindy and, and oh, all that stuff. So shows. she's a comedy writer. So Rich, one thing I didn't, um, ask you about the other day, I noticed, um, that you wrote on Roseanne and I know many people that wrote on Roseanne. How long did you last on Roseanne? Because <laughs> I don't know anybody that lasted very long.
1: Two, Two seasons. And then, uh. Uh, they, they were they were winding down, and Jeff Fox really saw me on the same lot. He, his show had moved uh, from ABC to NBC or vice versa, whatever. And he said, why don't you come right on my my show? And I thought, well, his show might last a lot longer. And uh, they both wrapped the same time. <laughs> his show no, they, lasted one season, I think, or two. So I think one or two seasons. and season.
0: You got out of Roseanne before you got the boot? Because everybody I know got the boot.
1: Yeah, no, I don't think I was going to get the boot. I wasn't having a problem with Roseanne. I mean, um, um, I mean, everybody has a problem. Everybody had a problem with her. She didn't have a problem. It's whether she had a problem with you or not was the key factor. I mean, right. but I didn't have a problem with it.
0: And so, you know, the other day we were in another thing, and uh, you met a friend of mine, Snuffy Walden. You know, do you know he was the composer on Roseanne the
1: last four seasons? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't
0: I- know that. I figured you didn't. I thought I would share wonder, that. I
1: wonder, I wonder if he did the music for, they had a dance, a dance sequence. She was having a baby and she was hallucinating. So they, it was like an idea that turned into like, they brought in like 40 dancers. It like really was very expensive. They brought in all these wow. dancers. Dancing through the delivery room, like like hippies and choreographed. And, he, <laughs> and it was all this like hippie music and sitars. Probably, Snubby probably composed the whole thing. It was a
0: big,
1: it did. well, didn't get me it size, but it was a quite a little bit of choreography and employed a few dancers in Hollywood for the day
0: nice well if it was the last one of the last four seasons then yeah that was his deal yeah, he was there. Yeah. um so all right before we get into all the career stuff and we're going to talk about that people are saying how they recognize you and everything and well by the way you guys if you have questions for rich you can put them up in the thing we're a small group we can read them all um so that's because this got fucked up but you know what rich it's going to go on itunes and on soundcloud it's going to go all over the place uh on youtube so people will find it so it, we will eventually uh, have the audience that you so desperate, no, not desperate, you so you're not de- I'm desperate. <laughs> richly deserve,
1: richly, richly, richly deserves is what you're looking for.
0: Richly, thank you, deserve. deserve. There you okay, so so, so it,
1: desperately need, no. desperately need to richly that deserve.
0: That would be me. So, wh- okay, so tell everybody where you are
1: currently. Asheville, North Carolina. And how did you land there? Um... I just was looking at Los Angeles going, I'm not going to write on staff again. I'm not trying to be an actor on any shows. So why am I living here? What I do, I write. I try to do other projects and things. There's no reason to live here. LA is not a great place to live for middle-class retirement, in my mind. And it, it was not getting better with everything. And so I always wanted to move back to the East Coast. I didn't want to go as far north as New Jersey or Pennsylvania, which is kind of my nexus for growing up. But I I wanted to um, be in the mountains. I love the mountains. My mom is from this area and I've been coming here since I was a kid. And I just love the mountains and I love it down here. And how about your wife? She's born and bred in Los Angeles, never lived, except for a brief period of time when she lived in Hollywood, she never lived outside of Van Nuys. Wow. And, and she was like, look, let's when I first mentioned this, like, you know, 2017, yeah. 2018. I yeah. 20 or whatever. She said, look, five, six years, we'll talk about it. I said, well, let's take a vacation and get down to Asheville. It's a cool place to be. Yeah. So she checked it and says, Yeah, it looks like it'd be a good vacation place. And we came back from it. And she said, let's put the house for sale. Let's go. She she just dug it. You know, she she was up for the adventure. That's what it was. You had to have somebody who was a big adventure for her.
0: And what, what, what was she doing in Los Angeles? Was she able to take whatever she was doing to North Carolina?
1: Yeah, she was teaching kids music, so she's not doing that down here. She didn't want to do that. You know, that was very, um, in Los Angeles for her, it was a lot of time in the car, going from preschool or school to school, all around the, to Jewish schools around Los Angeles. So for her, it was, uh, I'm going to do something else. I said, yeah, we move, look, we sell our house here, and we're right. going to pocket a lot of cash. And you can decide what you want to do with the rest of your life. You know, she's just turned sixty. I like young chicks. I like them young. And, she is young. Uh, she's a baby. I'm, that's right. I'm sixty eight, and I like them young. And so, <laughs> um, so she, she's just to do what you want to do. Figure out what you want to do. She's creatively. Trophy so wife. Does. Sorry. <laughs> I'm her trophy husband.
0: So, so you've been there for two years, but half of it, more than half of it has been in COVID,
1: right? Yeah. You know, look, it looked before that, you know, I was on the road, not on the road a lot, but you know, 15, 20 weeks a year, she could count on vacation time for me for those periods of time. But we've been together every day since March 12th, like over a year, every day, every day, all the time. And it's, not been anything but better every day. It's been fantastic. I mean, I very smallest of, no fights of any significance, nothing. And I we just enjoy each other's company. We really, I mean, I just love this woman. I love her, I love her company. She's funny. She gets my humor, I get hers. Uh, we have a lot of language, similarities. We're, we're both in recovery that, you know, we have that sort of thing. And uh, she's my muse, she she uh, comes up a lot. She could sit in a show and she's done it before, she'll sit in the back, and somebody's next to her, she goes, I wrote that one, that's funny. <laughs> I'm sure, I wrote that one, so the first time she did that was Jimmy Brogan was next to her, at the Comedy Magic Club, right, Jimmy came up, and said, hey, your wife told me she wrote that joke, I went to her to drive home, I went, you cannot do that, you cannot do that, I, I once went on the Vitello's, uh, uh, to a show there, and uh, and. Kathleen Wilhoy was singing off. You know her. She's a great. I singer, love. Kathleen.
0: Yes, Kathleen's a very good friend. I love her. She, she was singing.
1: She had me do some comic relief on the show, so I did the whole show. It was a set of jokes that that Ronna wrote. That was it. It was every joke was joke that Ronna wrote, or you know had a hand in some way. So that was the set, and she sat there just leaving after every joke. It was hilarious. it was great. Did
0: she kill? How did she do?
1: She does very well. She does very well. I perform her mature. I'm like Roger Daltrey singing Pete Townsend songs. I perform her jokes very well.
0: <laughs> Can you give us a ron a joke?
1: Yeah. I you know um, I, I don't want to be dating at my age. I, I mean, a couple of 60-year-olds out on a first date, there's some interesting table conversation. So what did you used to care about? <laughs> that's good.
0: That's good. She's good. I'm liking it. Uh, Gabe would ask, I I would have some input. And actually I got a couple of things on Letterman a couple of times. That was pretty, but you know, I was yeah. sitting alone in my living room going, that's mine, that's nobody heard me, but it was fun. It was no Facebook to tout it on in those days. Um, you
1: know, I've, written, I've written for people like, you know, Jeff Foxworthy and, 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 and Jeff's great, you know and he'll adapt things to his voice. But I remember standing off the side one time while he was performing all this new material we'd come up with together and yeah. I felt like, Ray Sharkey and Idol Maker, you know, I'm doing the moves with him, right? I'm off on the side by, behind the curtain. Boom, boom, yeah, boom. It's time he does a joke. I'm like, yeah, all right. You know, there, that, is a weird,
0: that is a weird reference to make in the fact that I know that I not, I not only saw the Idol Maker, I saw Ray Sharkey in the entire cast, Peter Gallagher at a talk back. At, at, at like the new school when that movie first came out. What a great movie that was. Yeah, it really
1: was. I've
0: ever heard reference it. Thank you. That was like great. The By the way, while we're here, before I forget, Cindy says, um, were you on Roseanne when Tom was on and they asked people to shave their heads for
1: $4,000? No, I was not there. Or I might've been there and I forgot. <laughs> I don't remember it. Either way. Either way. So
0: now, in the Roseanne days, were you sober already? You. Were-
1: oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah. I, I, I was allegedly working with Tom, but but Tom had he, he had different plans back then. Really, he was, he, yeah. But he was uh, he's a good guy, and uh, uh, he's doing very well now
0: um everybody's saying how great you look happiness is the key okay women does rich not look like um oh my god i like like ed harris this is rich is sporting the ed harris look it's i've been saying this
1: this is all my wife's doing and let me tell you something i didn't think this kind of happiness was even possible i only had
0: two modes
1: only had two modes in relationship i had two switches two two on my switch it was lust Loathing that's all I had lust and loathing so I didn't know this was possible I am the most taken care of man in America honestly she feeds me so well she uh she everything everything is is and i and I've never been honored like this or been been made feel like I'm valuable you know at certain point I became an irritant you know and she gets me, like if I'm off thinking, you know, I'm thinking about something, right? You're a comic, right? You're, you're deep in your head. I'm in, in the skull deep, mulling something over, having a conversation a thousand miles away with somebody who's not even in the room, right? Right. And she'll say my name and she sees that look at my face and she knows he's not here. I'm going to say his name three more times and he'll, <laughs> he'll respond on the fifth time I say his name. And she's okay with that. But in the past, women be like, you ignore me. You constantly ignore me. And I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm not ignoring you. I'm just, I'm deep in thought. You know, that's where, that's, that's my workshop. My workshop is not out in the garage, you know, right? It's not a tool bench in a garage. My workshop is in here. Most Ooh. comics.
0: I love this. Wait, I can't hear you. Are you oh, you're not talking anymore. Okay. you you. okay.
1: No, but so yeah, shut I, up. I, was
0: I, went, I went over to Facebook to make sure that we were still on it, it weird shit's going on but it doesn't matter cuz we're here and they're saying great conversation so they don't care. Um and I was just making fun of another interview you did where the interviewer did all the talking and telling all of his stories and I haven't shut up. So that's not usually my stop but I'm I'm going to we're going to we're going to talk. So all right, so you met your wife in the 80s. You met your wife in the 80s. W- w- tell me what happened then. And how did you get well, from here?
1: Okay. When we met in 86, i just got out of my marriage with Carol. Okay. So I was not, I was not, first of all, I was newly sober and just out of a divorce. I was not fit for human consumption and I was not <laughs> in any way looking to settle down. You know, I, I had a, I had a, a rotating, um, you know, I, I I had scheduled. I mean, she came over one time. She, she reminded me the story. She came over one time in the daytime, like four o'clock, and I answered the door. I went, "Oh no, 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 no! You're not scheduled for five o'clock. You're not. you know, You're not. You're not okay. No, no. You got to call. You got to call ahead." You know, okay. I, I was I was running. I was running hard. Right. I, look, the only thing I had left was that I was I was smoking cigarettes and 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 um, you know I, I I quit drinking and drugging and I was newly sober and I was divorced and I was i was just going crazy so she she said one time you know uh, i showed up at her place of work with cowboy boots boots that she left at the, at my apartment you know because i didn't want women marking their territory you know what i mean so i was like no you're not leaving boots here she wow. said i came and showed up with cowboy boots and a paper bag going here they are you know here are your boots and, okay uh, so
0: when when you first met and you were having this rotating so you weren't even on the radar that she was special at this time? Or did you oh, already-
1: Oh, no, 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 no. She was, she was in the rotation. That's, it, that's all, it was was in the in the rotation. Rotation. that's all she was. There was no, nothing, nothing like, oh, I go. I couldn't, I couldn't recognize special, if special showed up, I wouldn't have recognized it. Believe me, Vicki, there was no way I could recognize it. I was just running, I was running, I was so raw and um and, um and honestly, you know, frightened, scared, whatever. I was not gonna be, uh, hurt, or set up like that again, and uh, all the things that you feel like when you come out of a relationship that just crashed, you know, so badly. So I, and and then I was newly sober, which I was just raw. So that, it was not possible. And then, then we both went off to different. You know, she got married to a guy, and I got married to a woman, and those marriages collapsed around the same time in two thousand three. And we ran into each other again. And uh, had, you not, it, had you
0: not seen each other in the interim during those? Oh,
1: no. no, not since, uh, nonsense, probably, uh, 88, 1988 to 2003, whatever that is, 15 years, whatever. No. Okay. And so then now we, you see
0: then, her for the first time again, Rich, and sorry to interrupt. And what is your initial take when you see her for the first, uh, do you like want to run for the, do you remember what you did with the cowboy boots? Uh, you know, like, my, well,
1: I, well, my initial take was probably, like, Hey, I can pick right up here. This was I'm, I'm bounced out of another marriage. Look who's back! You know, it's my, it's my, it's the, it's the Red Cross. It's the, it's the divorce Red Cross is here to heal my wounds. You know, that's probably what I thought. Look, she shows up every 15 years. She shows up to help me uh, heal my wounds. You know, bandage me up. I'm, I'm the English patient now. You know, I'm like I'm all all burned up from an airplane crash. She'll heal me. Uh, you know, but it it worked out totally different. I mean, I totally it it, it we we. We went through a lot of things over these years, you know, these years, and, and um around 2018, I went, what am I nuts? I'm not doing better than this. There's no way I'm doing better than this. And so I asked her to marry me.
0: Okay, wait, you skipped ahead too many stages. When you when you were
1: <laughs> that's the woman, a guy would be like, Yeah, that's all you need to know. It went there <laughs> no. and then started over there. That's it.
0: I want the love story. How long did it take till you realized from the time you, you met her, I could pick right up again? How long did it take you to realize, no, no, this, yeah, this
1: one? Know, I, I, yeah, I realized I, I loved her, you know, around 2016. Yeah. Um, 2000, around 2015, I lost my um, uh, uh, sponsor.
0: Oh, I lost my okay.
1: recovery, spiritual mentor, Nick Anderson, an unbelievable guy. Uh-huh. And she lost her She lost her mother. Her father died years before she lost her mother. So we were both like young and, and it wasn't going, you know, we just were like not communicating at all. And she goes, uh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to release you back into the wild. And I'm like, release me back in the wild? I'm a toothless old zoo lion now. I got no chance in the wild. What are you doing? <laughs> release me into the wild. <laughs> I'm 54 year old. I'm, I'm used to being fed and, and put down for the night. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, <laughs> You can't you can't just toss me out at a while. I got no chance out there. But um, what but she was very clever. Looking back, she was very clever. What she did is you can go, we were living together, right? So she goes, you can go stay at my friend's house, Judy's, go stay over at Judy's house, right? You until you figure out where you want to go, right? So she has me like two blocks away. And yeah. every day she's uh, she's having a little visit with me. Every day, a little visit, a little conjugal visit every day. So she's keeping she keep my temperature down and me close by, so she just really released me into a side paddock. She didn't put me in a wild, she just put me into another pasture. I didn't even know there was a fence there. I didn't even notice it. How,
0: how, how long did that, did that last?
1: I, I asked for like two weeks, and so she said, get back, get back over here. She's just like, get back over here. I go, okay, I'm coming.
0: And how long after that did you propose to her?
1: Not long, not long. It was that that, you know, maybe a year later, you know, something like that.
0: What do you think, Rich? Is the okay? So, when you were still working with Carol and you guys are still on the scene together and everything, how how, how did you guys handle that professionally? Was that was that a nightmare? What was that like?
1: <laughs> well, there's, there, uh, you know, uh, she she uh, there were certain people who were her friends. I didn't didn't I didn't hear from anymore. You know, that's all. And Aww. I'm sure there were people on the same side of there were my friends that didn't have much to do with her after that. So. You know you we didn't have much to divide materially I, but i do remember we argued over some Beatle albums which was kind of funny <laughs> it, as if they weren't still making Beatle albums in in 1985 you know right you no,
0: know, but, I mean? but records were a very important thing i mean in my first marriage the whole fight was over the albums everything was yeah over
1: yeah the- that's but it's that's ridiculous it was ridiculous i'll come back but there's something you know you you're, you're a little raw i guess and that was it it was nothing really big i mean i mean look Jacobi and myers literally Jacoby and Myers handled no. our front door.
0: Oh come on, stop that. <laughs>
1: oh my god. I so, think that I think I can still remember that it was like a $250 thing and, and uh, that was it.
0: Did uh did you guys work together did you work together subsequently ever?
1: I can't remember that if we did. I, I don't think we did. I don't remember. I'd see her around, you know, Bill Mars or something like that. And I was very glad when she fell in love and got and got married again um, to Lori, I think her name is Lori. And um, I'm very glad for it. They have a child together and I'm very happy for her. so no, 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 you know, you know, after a while you just go, you know, if we we were like, you know, it was a show biz, like, well, we're just hanging out. I think it's like, what's to do next? I think really for Carol, look honestly, she'd been going, she was Carol was like when we got married, I think she was like whatever, she was 20, 24, 25 or whatever uh-huh. when she got married. I noticed we'd gone to a lot of weddings. A lot of her friends were getting married. I think it was the fact that she was tired of being the bride, the maid of honor. You know, it's like, hey, I'm tired of being a supporting role. I need the starring role one time. You know, <laughs> but I, can I can I get the starring role here? You know. And you and, were really be her
0: leading man.
1: Yeah, and and uh, true truly, I I proposed we were tripping on acid. That's what we were tripping on acid. So. If you're with a woman and you see rainbows coming out of her eyes, you gotta marry her. I mean,
0: <laughs> what year? What year was that? What year did
1: you? That's guys on a sign. <laughs> 1981. And next thing I know plans are being made. You know, and, and uh, they had they had a hard time finding a rabbi who would marry us. I mean, why? Oh, widely. because you're Jewish, of are you course. Me? Not only was I'm Jewish, I was blonde-haired, blue-eyed. You know, they. I'm sure they did a background check to find out if anybody <laughs> Did it, his family emigrate from Austria in 1946? Let's check this out. <laughs>
0: okay. You know, I'm okay. Sure. How are her
1: parents with you? Well, their parents are, her parents are great. And I know she wrote in a book that her, she said her father was disappointed that I, that she married a Shagitz, but <laughs> I don't know who was lying on that one because I got a letter from her parents after we split her parents are very good to me. Her father was an optometrist. And I remember he was so nice to me. He came and gave me a, he gave me a, he had all these old, Frames. The, these glasses, I, I have literally had a shoebox filled with old frames because he was retiring. So he was very generous and just made sunglasses for me. And the mother was very, very nice, you know. And um, when we divorced, when we when we separated, I wrote a letter to them say, saying, telling them what great in-laws they were and how really? I always. And they wrote. I still have the letter. They wrote a two-page, three-page letter back, really nice. Um, so. So, oh, I, I don't think like if there was any kind of problem there.
0: That's really lovely. Um, I don't know uh, where I, I, I have like 15 directions I want to go, but before we get more back to career stuff, tell me how it's been with the COVID over there in North Carolina. Um, wh- what were you doing, Rich, when you, when I assume you guys went into lockdown around the same time we did in March? Um, did you have gigs booked? Were you? Oh, I,
1: yeah, I had gigs wiped out. I had a, I'm doing this show on the history of stand up comedy. And, yeah. Uh, I had about 20, 20 dates booked and, and uh, four festivals. that was gonna do comedy festivals and they were all that all just got wiped out. We're right. still not coming, just coming back now. I, I had cruise ship uh, dates that were booked, they were wiped out. Right. Um, so that that was just the way it was. I mean, you know, it was, it was a, but fortunately I'm, I'm uh you know, I'm not an, I'm, I feel bad for the young comics. I really felt bad for the young comics. Because they're the ones that, that really need that time. They're growing and they're they're making their careers. I'm I'm on the other side. Of it. I'm in I'm in total golden time. You know, I mean, whatever I do, whatever I am able to do in this business is just a gift at this point. You know, a gift. Why did I'm, you
0: say that that you didn't think you'd be writing anymore in television staffed anymore? Is that because of it? Ageism is that? Why oh yeah, yeah, it?
1: sure, sure, sure. Look, I, people who had more substantial writing careers for TV than I did. Uh, are not getting work, you know, Bob Nickman or people I know, they're not getting work anymore. What happens is it's it's not, I don't think it's ageism is a a negative thing. The shows are geared towards younger people. That's who's buying, that's who's making the choices for cars and motorcycles and what type of beer they want to drink. People my age don't make choices anymore. They reach reflexively for whatever they've been doing for years. They're not selling to us. So the shows are geared towards younger people. So they want younger people writing, to, to have a show that appeals to other younger people. That just totally makes sense. I don't find that negative at all. Wow. Um, I have something to offer. I still have things to offer, and I do offer them up. I wrote a screenplay about the first stand up comic. I'm writing I'm a book. I'm, I'm doing things. Hey, wait. So, what's like...
0: going on with that? Tell, tell us a little bit. You posted about it today. Tell us a little bit about the first stand up comic, Rich.
1: His name was Artemis Ward. And uh, he started doing stand-up comedy at the beginning of the Civil War in 1861. Is an incredible guy, incredible. He, he made a name for himself back uh, writing a funny newspaper article, like a, like a letters to the editor thing, a funny thing. Back right. when newspapers was all the entertainment you had. There was no radio, no television, no internet. People read newspapers for information and for humor. And he had this very funny thing and he made a name for himself. His real name was Charles Farrar Brown. And he lived in what was then West, the West then was Cleveland. He lived in Cleveland, Cleveland city in 1860 was about 60,000 people. And um, he decided that he was gonna do this thing, this new thing, nobody ever done it. This lecture series. Let
0: me just ask you a question. You're telling me that in Europe, all those years, there were, I, I know there were gestures and there were no stand-up comics well, all
1: wait, through. But you got the stand-up. look, there are people who, who did funny things on well, stage. There always were people who did funny things. Right. You've got to understand, about stand-up comedy is one, one person, one person performing for the express intent of making a live audience laugh. That's it. That's all that person's doing. Okay. It's not a two-person play or sketches. They're out there by themselves doing, there was nobody had done this. There were minstrel shows, minstrel shows where they had you know four people on stage together doing like sketch work and going back and forth banter like a team. That, that's not stand up, stand up solo. They had clowns and circuses who were to make up and all the, the stuff. And they they do what they call a little stump speech where they, they, they uh, uh, sort of mock a politician's stump speeches back then. That little part of their show was that, just a little part, but the rest of it was all clownish, clown things. Nobody was doing what he's doing. He said, He's was gonna go on, they, Walt Whitman was one of his friends. And Walt Whitman says, what are you gonna do up there? He says, I intend to go up there and make them laugh as long as they can. That was his whole purpose. And comedy was then, then not a whole, you know, there was no whole comedy shows. Comedy was only a little part of any play. Every play had to have a moral lesson, right? right. There was a lesson to that, be good to your son, be good to your mother, be good to, you know what I mean? There's a lesson that slavery is bad, drinking is bad lectures or everything was about lessons and so uh-huh. he comes in he goes i'm just going to make them laugh and people older people would walk out of his show and go i laughed but i didn't learn anything it's an incredible waste of time wow. i didn't learn anything he was doing something radical very very pioneering and but it became a hit because in war people look for something really different and they really love this thing and young people went nuts for it and um and he was a huge hit young guy
0: wow so well, wow, okay. So that's okay. So you've written.
1: He, 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 dated, he dated the first sex symbol in America. Ida Mencken did a play where she took this old play. It was an old play. She, because she learned from Artemis, she said she was friends with Artemis. She goes, Right. She's doing something radical in the wartime. If you want to make a an name yourself, you have to do something radical. So there's an old play about a guy, a soldier, who got betrayed and then tied to a horse and sent into the forest. It was called Mazeppa, right? Yeah. so she is a very athletic woman so she dresses like a male soldier she looks like a man right she's an assault that plays the whole first part of the play they everybody thinks she's a man she's got her hair tucked up under the helmet and she's got this blousy thing you can't tell right and then when they strip her down at the end to put her on a horse the audience goes crazy because she's got this flesh-colored suit on right and she's got Big breast and big hips, right? And she's a woman. And the place goes crazy. And her hair comes down and, and, and she cheated. She cut slits. She cut parts of the flesh colored thing out. So she's hanging out all over the place, man. She's showing real flesh. Say so tired of the horse and her breasts are falling out. And the horse goes up this, you know, fake stage thing. And soldiers, guys in this, and they were going absolutely out of their mind. They didn't see ankles back then. They didn't see, they didn't see anything below the neck this was a victorian man they were like women were here to so the ankles right. covered and wow. she she became america's first sex symbol i have these pictures that were like sold underground that she took you know and sold these pictures of her and it's almost laughable how much clothing she has on now but then it was like my god she's shown part of her thigh. people were just, <laughs> crazy
0: you know rich what what really strikes me about this story is that here the first sex symbol in America fell in love with the first comedian. Now yeah. now I married a com. now it just goes to show the old adage is true that what women fall for first, if you make a woman laugh, that's the deal, right? I mean, it worked for you for a lot of it,
1: comments it, and goings. All things being equal. I mean, you guys, I mean you
0: you're know. also a good looking guy and you were, I mean, Yes, you have, you have it all going on, but I really think that the thing that probably got more women to open their legs was you making them laugh than anything I would imagine, right? It's, it's an aphrodisiac, isn't it?
1: But not, well, look, he, he, it, so I know the limits of it. I remember I learned this lesson. I was <laughs> well, in college. It's <laughs> college. Was in college. It's, I'll yeah. tell you the limits. Okay. Sophomore year <laughs> of college, my girlfriend at the time, I just got, got things going well with her, right? her her girlfriend says we want to go see this concert at this other school Todd Rundgren I know a little bit Todd Rundgren right right we're gonna go see Todd so I borrow a car from a friend I drive him over now we're driving over I'm making him laugh I can remember this I got it going I go I you know I'm 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 like the king of the car you know I'm the only guy and I make them laugh or a great time we get in this concert Todd Rundgren starts playing I remember looking over at their faces and I said I've never seen that look on a woman's face before that was pure fucking lust They, they were like Uh, I go oh that's another level of seduction that's rock star level that's a whole nother thing you know so I know the limits of being a joker you know but but I'm I'm not
0: I I guess the comic would lose to the rock star but the comic there were no rock
1: stars in 1861 that's the whole point (laughs) is that
0: true there weren't like
1: no other musicians and they're always musicians but but he so he He was friends with Lincoln. He would go into the White House late at night because, see, show people are looked down upon. And Mary Todd Lincoln was a teetotaler. Lincoln was a teetotaler, but she did not like show people. So Artemis would sneak in in the middle of the night because Lincoln was up all night working and they'd swap stories. He'd make Lincoln laugh and refresh Lincoln. Lincoln would go, I'm refreshed now, thank you, and i go back to work. He had a good time with Artemis. Artemis made him laugh and then Artemis would leave. Artemis was a drinker. He liked to drink. He like weed. He, 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 he couldn't. He had tuberculosis, so he couldn't. Wait a minute. Smoke, so. Wait a minute.
0: There was weed in. uh oh, yeah, My drug. Yeah. Of, that
1: was my drug of choice. Oh really? yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's called. It, it was. It was hashish, and they used to go to the, the drugstores were called apothecaries, and they sold it over the counter. No, no laws against it whatsoever. Wow. So he hung out. One of his friends was a guy named was Fitz Ludlow, right? Who who wrote a book called The Hashish Eater. He was a he was an experimenter in psychedelics and hashish in 1858. That's crazy. I got copies of the book. I got copies of the book. He was a real dude and so that was one of his friends and he, he would go he goes you know what the experience when he wrote in the book he said he said because Artemis goes what is it going to feel like the first time he says well you will have a uh increased appetite you will giggle and oh. you'll have a fine appreciation for music. <laughs> really. And yeah, so they'd go, they'd go get high and go, let's do a, a band outside play, you know. And, they, and it was, was the in, munchies, the music, it was all the same shit. All the same stuff, same oh. shit. And, and and they called Art, and the newspaper, I have newspaper articles where they called Artemis a lotus eater because sometimes they would have to go out and get him to bring him in for the show because he's out like, you know, getting high and wandering around a park or something.
0: Okay, that was my next question. So he was getting high to make people laugh.
1: No, well, I, he didn't, I don't think he performed high. I don't think he performed high. I think okay. he, 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 he was not getting a high laugh, I think. He was a drinker, big drinker, no doubt about it. Uh, he, he liked his cocktails. Him and Mark Twain hooked up out in Virginia City in Nevada. Wow. So he, he, yeah, he's the one that taught Wayne how to do it. He taught Twain how to, he back, wow. when they, they, they had a week together drinking and partying in 1864. And when they split up, Mark Mark Twain was just Samuel Clemens, and he was a newspaper. Editor, right. And obviously, a funny guy. There was only a year difference between two of them. They were almost uh-huh. like brothers. And Artemis Ward said to him, "said You're a funny guy. You should write something funny." And Mark Twain read for him and says, "I got something here for you." And he gives him a story he'd written. It, it's "Jumping Jim Smiley's Jumping Frog," which became the Jumping Frog of Calaveras County, which was the first story that Twain published. Was published by. Artemis Ward's publisher. Artemis Ward took it back to New York and gave it to his publisher. And that put Twain on the map. Wow, this is crazy. Okay, so you wrote a he's screen. A, he's like... a legit, legit star, legit star. He was PT Barnum hung out, he hung out with him. He was legit star, but he died, he was only 32 years old. He died in England, he had tuberculosis. And he always wanted to go to England to see how his show would do there. Cause England was a center of culture more so than today. You got to remember, we were a colony, just newly formed as a country. But England was it, you know, culturally. So was, he anything more,
0: was he considered an artist here, Rich?
1: Oh well, I, I don't know. He definitely was considered something. It was very. They, uh, uh, I, I don't even know what they, they didn't call it a comedian. He was a humorist. Uh, he was called a. Uh, he, he was called a a, a funny lecturer. Uh, they didn't have the word stand up at all. And but right. he went to England. Uh, he always had it in his mind. He wanted to go to England and see how he would fare there. And he killed him. He, he, he Dickens, all the big literary ones came out to see him. They uh, he, wow. he joined the lunch club, uh, a very literary club. that would have been like sort of Monty Python of the day. He joined oh, that. Wow. And he, he, was, he was a huge hit. The, ki- the king, the prince, prince uh, Victoria's prince, the future king of England was a huge fan of his, a uh, uh, 27-year-old prince. Um, they all came out. His pack, pack, sold out, sold out, sold out. He died there in England of tuberculosis. The fog, London fog killed him. You, wow. you can't have tuberculosis. They didn't know about tuberculosis then, and what you should do, like go to Arizona instead of go to London, right? Right, right, right. All right, so you're right. They gave him a school funeral, yeah.
0: Do you have somebody in mind that you would like to play him?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I was already thinking about it before I wrote it and uh when I started watching the show Girls on HBO and saw Adam Driver the first time I saw him like that's Artemis Ward no he does dead, he does deadpan comedy terrifically and he looks like him. he's a tall thin guy with a prominent nose which is like Artemis Ward I thought that's the guy right there and then of course he became such a huge star and uh I have no way of getting the script to him I'm, I'm struggling to even get it around the people I don't have a representation right now. So that's that.
0: Okay, so you were doing so you you wrote that. So what else were you doing? uh, Just prior to the pandemic? So you had all this stuff booked, you were doing live shows about the history of comedy. Um, So when the world came crashing to a stop to a halt, what did your how? Because I was telling you, we're the COVID crazies. So how how were you guys dealing with it in North Carolina? Did you were you in lockdown? What did it look like for you? Yeah,
1: I just I just found things to do. I was I was working. This, we have two acres of property here in the woods. And, uh, working, doing clearing land, brush, uh, writing a lot. I didn't feel bored at one at all. Um, you know, we had to pull, pull in the, you know, financial strings a little bit. Look what we were doing, be careful. Like, we was not making money. It was a big hit, you know, all those cruise ships and those other shows. Absolutely. But um, we're doing okay. I mean, compared to other people, I don't feel like, you know, we're, I, I, I'm lucky. I'm lucky, that's all, we're lucky. And I we I didn't feel like, um, I, I spent my time writing and doing other things, that's all. Did you and guys, Disney, my parents,
0: how, how did you handle being out in the world, and and still,
1: do you are you are you guys vaccinated over there? Yeah, we're we're both vaccinated, and we always took masks, and we just isolated people. We just didn't go out in the world. We didn't go around people. You know, um, I have my my, my eighty nine and eighty eight year old parents down in Florida, and I didn't want to bring anything down to them, so um, I was visiting them all the time. That's the only thing we do is drive down there and come back. We drive down and drive back. It's one of the reasons why I moved here, and um. Um it, it was, it was not, not seeing anybody. That's all. We didn't see anybody. So, but you went, like, to the grocery store and stuff, I assume. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We masked up. And we went to the grocery store. And we were very careful. Ronna was, like, wiping things down. And, you know, it was like you were. You were being very careful. That's all there was to it. But everything we did down here is very careful. Asheville itself is um, it's a little blue dot in a red state, basically. You know, or a red county, anyway, if I say that. And, um, and it's, um, everybody wears masks and very respectful in the distancing and uh, I'm feeling kind of problem.
0: So has life changed for you guys? We're going to get into the career stuff. I just want a couple more COVID questions. Have, has life changed for you guys now that you're vaccinated? What, what it because we've been talking about the fact that we've gotten kind of phobic. Well, yeah, right?
1: we're, we're, we, we, once we got vaccinated, we're back into our swingers club. That's the whole point <laughs> of it. And no, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. <laughs> nothing's changed. You know, every time I hear a swingers club, I think of people RH, you just go, oh, please don't, don't do that. Don't do that. You're
0: back in your swingers club.
1: <laughs> back in swingers club, you know.
0: Wait, we got- listen this, this.
1: Mickey, Mickey, this is the truth. Yeah. This is the truth. Just a couple of years ago, like four or five years ago, there was a yeah. guy I knew, a guy yeah. I knew, it's a true story, a guy, this is why I thought of this, there was a guy I knew in college, a woman in London college, great guy, big guy, football yeah. player, big guy, great guy, I've not seen him. I graduated 1974, so this is like 19, so This is like 2014, so like 44 years, right? i had not yeah. seen this guy in 44 years, whatever. Yeah. 34 <laughs> years, 30, whatever. I hadn't okay. seen a guy in long, many, many. Oh, years.
0: not right? math blonde.
1: Yeah, yeah, whatever. So I, I read this thing in the in the in the Gettysburg magazine, college yeah. magazine.
0: Yeah.
1: That he renounced his retirement and uh, and he's opening a brewery up in Oregon. And he had his email there, so I go, "Hey Duke, you know, I go, I sent him an email. How you doing? And Rich, I don't remember me and I but I always think of you once in a while. I how you and your wife doing." He sends back, "We're doing very well." It's pictures of him. He sends back literally pictures, naked pictures of him and his wife in an orgy. Now I think, because he was always a funny guy, I think he found these somewhere, you know, on the internet, printing them out. I go, you know what I mean? It's like goofing with me. I've not talked to the guy in 34 <laughs> years. Nothing. So I said back to say, that's very funny, my man, but I know that's not your wife, your wife, you know, who I knew then, you know, right. I knew her then. that's was not wasn't her in the picture. Because, goes, oh, no, she died. This is my new wife. She's game. She's game. And he sends back more pictures.
0: Oh, my God. Okay. This and I'm is
1: like, a- that was. There was no response. I had no response for that. I think I said, you know, some some people you you just don't really know them at eighteen <laughs> the, way, the way things are going to be forty years later, or whatever. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I was like, and I remember telling. I have told other people who know knew him. You know, back in college, I told them. They go, yeah, that's uh, that's that's uh, said, yeah, that is is a. Uh, uh, not not expected. You know what I mean. You think maybe at least a couple of opening gambits before you went there. You know, yeah. like, hey, as going here yeah, we got these kids. I had yeah, she died. I got like a new wife. She likes gardening. I like the fish once in a while. Maybe and a little low cut
0: uh, shirt first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't low-cut. you
1: think she's got a sexy body? Then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, and then. And then, and then maybe after three or four emails and a couple of, hey, let's get together sometime. Maybe when you come out of here, you might join our club. Here we are, then you kind of- This is
0: hysterical. By the way, Laura says that um, women all over the 1800s were addicted to laudanum, which was nothing more than opium. Did, did yeah. you,
1: Is yeah. that true? Yeah, it was by you- that. that, but, but I, Ida Mencken wasn't. Um, she died young too, by the way. She died like- um, uh-huh. I think she was like 34 or something like that. She died over in Europe mysteriously. I'm not really sure what happened, but I don't. She was not a drug addict. There was a, a lot of them. Was a big thing, and of course, in the Civil War, they got them all addicted to morphine. There was a huge problem with morphine after the war. That's why Sears catalog used to sell um, morphine and hyperdermic needles. You know, through Sears catalog, you could buy it because no there was so shit. much addiction with the Civil. War. Yeah, soldiers in the Civil War. You know, they they sold off their arms or legs or whatever, and they, they had um, the only thing they just they just gave them morphine. I mean they that was a huge uh, addiction problem back in the nineteenth century. And laudanum was part of it. That's that was egg around on post stuff, you know. Laudanum. So
0: everything old is new again. They had pot stores back then, you know, they were selling just like
1: there were no rules, there were no rules there was no FDA, there was no drugist oh, association, the apothec- oh, How's he, how's he, what's his qualification to be a to carry? He, he spelled a sign right. <laughs> <laughs> to the degrees, the you know what I
0: mean? Oh, okay. Oh, uh, Lynn says, I want to hear Sugar Blues. Oh, okay, so Snuffy's on here, Rich. And he says, hey. it was great to hear you. And he wants to thank you again for the Sugar Blues recommendation. Please talk to us about this because me and the COVID crazies, have been, I have tried every di- I have tried everything. And I know that you speak about sugar. Tell us about your sugar thing.
1: Well, my, 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 that was the first addiction. I mean, you know, and I don't think it was anything off in my generation. We got, we got desperate sugar. My mom, you know, we had sugar. I, I, my, my cousin and I same age as me. When we were young kids, we would literally eat a half gallon of ice cream each. You know, we were young and burning it. And I always had a sugar problem. When I got sober, it went crazy. And I used to, I didn't. you know, say, oh, you know, I never had an eating disorder, but I did. When I first got sober, I was still smoking cigarettes and I was running and I would eat at night, a pint of Haagen-Dazs and a pound bar of Hershey's with almonds. I mean, that was a ritual. Stop right here.
0: Wait a minute. I know you to be tall and thin. Okay. So now when you were a kid.
1: I I was running eight, nine, 10 miles a day. I was when running like crazy, running, running. I was running. When
0: you when you got sober, you were running. Yeah,
1: when I got sober, I started running. I couldn't I couldn't sit for meditation. So this guy I met in in um, uh, the rooms, um, I met this guy who said, "Why don't you try what the yogis call active meditation, where you know run. Don't put a walkman on. Don't listen to music or radio or anything. the headphones. Just see what what comes under your mind." And running, and I got into running, and I loved it. And, uh, but I would, I would, I would run a exercise like crazy, you know, I'm a comic. I'd come home at night after being the improv or the comedy store, or whatever in town. And I would literally, as a ritual, you know, one in the morning, whatever, I would sit down and eat a pint of Hagen dazs It was usually Swiss almond, chocolate, Swiss almond, vanilla.
0: Love that. And,
1: and, and I love, you know, obviously nuts and chocolate and, and a pound, a pound, a full pound Hershey chocolate bar, big thick thing. And um, every night, and I go into a coma, sugar coma. And I do that through relationships, you know, in my, in my second marriage, she should I used to, Ronald will tell you my mar- wife now, she said, you know, she, I, I was like an alcoholic. I'd hide candy bars everywhere. I'd hide them in the house. I'd hide them in the car. I'd go say, Hey, I've taken my kid back to their mother's house. Right. I'm taking him back. So I'd stop and get, oh, I'm and get some gas on the way home. And I would go in, you know, in a, in a AM PM mini Mark and I'd buy five candy bars. And I'd eat them before I came home, and then destroy the wrappers. Would just get tossed in the trash, you know. So So you had
0: shame around this, I'm assuming, if you were hiding it.
1: You had shame. I was hiding it because, yeah, it was shame because I I knew I was disconnecting. I knew, I knew, you know, like like somebody like you'd be stoned. You'd be I there's that that and then the crash and a crash. I'd be I'd watch TV just just out of it. You know, you can't communicate. You can't be present. You talk about not being present. You know, it's like. Um, so how like, did
0: you kick? How did you become aware? And then how did you kick it?
1: it? It over years, I struggled with it for years, and I have lots of friends. I'm not. I'm not uh, these are men, guys, guys I know who, who who have a hard time admitting food disorders. I think we're a difficult time. Maybe it's not. There's it not as prevalent. It's almost like. Old days when women were drinking, they could admit they were drinkers back in hundred right. years ago, you know, because we're so shameful more for women than guys.
0: There's still shame around it. There's still... Yeah, yeah but for guys, I for got guys, guys the guys I know. Let's
1: just say the guys I know. The guys I know. Oh. I'm not, not going to go right. everywhere. But there, are, there was a core guys that I talked to. Uh, uh, one of my buddies from college who's also sober now, and we, we talk all the time about it, you know, and help each other, try to help each other. And I just have to stay off it. If I I don't, you know, people come to go... I, I'm like I, I'm an alcoholic with sugar. Then you somebody'll go, hey, you want a slice of pie? I go, a slice? That's not enough. You can't uh-huh. stop me with a slice. My mom would cook for me when I go to visit her. When I go to visit her, even recent, not recent, I used to love these Boston cream pies, right? They're like yeah. layered cake with cream in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. chocolate She'd cook two this big, like 12-inch, 14, right, right? First night I eat one by myself, just eat it. Eat the thing first night. Just eat one, and then she's cooking something else. So every night I'm eating a full pie.
0: I cannot believe you don't weigh seven hundred pounds. All the
1: world because because I'm not I'm I'm not kidding you because I would run maniacally because I would I I would exercise maniacally to get it off and then I wouldn't eat much the next day. I don't eat breakfast and I don't eat that. You know what I mean? You these I would wake up hungover. I wake up. I could wake up with a sugar hangover like just cloudy headed, you know, just like. Uh, so Rich, how did you
0: start to get a handle on this and how long ago did you start to get a handle on it?
1: Well, I, I, I've, been, I've been getting a good handle on the last, I'd say last 10 years, probably last 10 years, but doing very well. I have some moments some streaks where I go, oh, I get off it, you know, and then two days later come back. But my, my periods of absence are way longer. okay so
0: tell me like what is the psyche what is the mindset
1: and i i i cannot i cannot i don't drink i don't have sugar in my coffee i don't i don't know i never had a problem with it in the daytime because i know it messes up my head and i can't write i can't work i can't focus i cannot Um, focus when i'm coming off of sugar or high on sugar i can't so the nighttime is my dangerous time right because then i'm not working
0: snacking time yeah
1: snack time Mm-hmm. So you know, I um, I have cantaloupe. You know, sometimes I popcorn, dry air popcorn. You know, dry popcorn.
0: Did did you cold turkey it or did you? Oh yeah, cold turkey.
1: That? No, cold turkey. Cold turkey. I can't. I'm I'm not a chipper. I can't chip it. I can I told you I can't. I can't go. Okay, I'll just have one bar tonight. And I have one bar. I'm gonna I'm gonna find a reason to go down to the gas station and get five more bar, candy bars. I don't have okay, one. So when you first did it, did you have? Did you have withdrawal? Because, oh, God, I'm, I'm, I I'm mean, literally, I'm. it's like, a. it is a drug. There's no question in my mind, to me, to me, it's a drug. I have withdrawals. I am angry. I am, I'm snappish. I am irritable, discontent. Everything you think about, like, coming off of alcohol or drugs is the same with sugar. It's, it's that powerful for me. And there's a lot of, because um, I know how it affects me, you know really do. I mean, you, you look at the, you know, um, uh, caffeine and sugar is like a, it's a sober speedball. It's, it's, you know, it doesn't affect your time in terms of your sobriety. It doesn't affect your, right. you don't feel like all this, but, but I take the sugar out. I don't have it in anything. You know, I don't sneak it in. in Did some you other have way.
0: physical withdrawal?
1: Yes. I told you, I feel, I feel irritable. I feel like you know, no, no, no. But I mean, like, when you
0: kicked it, when, I, I mean, I know that's what it is when you're coming down off of it. But when you stopped, when you did the yes, cold, yes,
1: morning, yes, yes. There's a couple of days when it's like, I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm, I don't feel like doing anything. I don't have any energy. It's, it's not a flu. It's, I think caffeine's worse, um, just for the physical withdrawal. I'm not, I'm not, you know, the, the the National Institute of Health or anything. But
0: did you did you stop caffeine also?
1: No, no. I, I, I can't. that
0: from that's out the
1: question. From time to time, I do. I just try to go look. I don't have any caffeine after noon. I had to say afternoon. I have it in the morning, and uh-huh. after that, it's water. It. So I'm I'm doing okay with this. I'm doing okay. I have to watch other things. Look, the other things that are like sugar in my body: pizza, any breads, pasta. Those are things that that. You know, I go in there, you give me two plates of pasta and I'm going to go into a coma. I'm just going to, that's it.
0: So you don't do that
1: either? Uh, once in a while, every, every two weeks, I have a, I have my wife will cook me spaghetti because she knows I love it. But it's, I'm just saying it, it is what it is. But it's not the next day or whatever. It's not affecting me like the sugar does. The sugar is a whole other thing. Refined sugar is a whole other thing.
0: And how's your health having done that for so long? Did it, did it impact your health?
1: I don't think so. He says that right before he has a stroke and dies. I don't know. I don't know. You know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, Vicky. I mean, I, I, I feel like. Uh, look, I'm still running. I run three miles every day. I do, you know, exercises, push-ups, sit-ups, yoga. Old. That, I, I went to this this woman in, up in uh, Ojai, taught this taught this old old stiff white guy yoga. That was the class called. I loved it. Old stiff white guy yoga. And so I got like five positions from there. I do that. And then, uh, and I stand on my head. I do some things that I have to do every day. You know, I have to pray and meditate. I do meditate now. I sit and meditate. I was gonna, I meditate. Oh,
0: okay. I was going to ask you, do you still do the moving meditation? No, now you I still sleep. run.
1: I still run. I don't have any, but running is look, it's one of the most creative times for me. Because I'll, I'll be running after I've written in the morning. And whatever I'm writing about, that's what's coming into my head. Ideas come, I go, I can't believe it. I, I, have so to my, I have to bring my phone, my memo on my iPhone. I'm running and, and I have these ideas coming. Because otherwise, the most I can remember is three, like I'm three miles, right? So the most I can remember is like three ideas when I come back. And sometimes that's not enough. So I, I usually run with my iPhone. And, and, um, and plus there are bears up here. So I want a record of the bears attacking me. I want it on video.
0: No, you're really killing me because I struggle with meditation. I, I listen to a calm app every morning. But... When I used I I've been speed walking for about 30 years, and I used to speed walk with a deepak meditation. But I did my best writing then. I would talk into my my iPhone, and now I speed walk with Cindy Beagle, the, the comedy writer, and I talk to her. But you know what? I really got to go back to doing some days on my own. Yeah, I the best I, I I ideas come.
1: I don't. I mean, every once in a while I'll run with somebody, you know. But I know you I'm being social. I'm doing a social thing then but I'm very selfish about that time. I'm you, very you selfish.
0: You remind me that is so true. Oh my God. All right. So tell us how, how we hear about this, giving up the sugar. How was it getting sober? And what was your, what was your, what did addiction look like for you, Rich?
1: Well, you know, um, I was a binge drinker for many, many years. And then the, then the binges got closer and closer together. Then it just became one long binge. Uh, at the end, I remember when I first got sober, I thought I'd hear people talking about drinking in the daytime, and I go, oh I didn't drink in the daytime. Then I realized I didn't wake up till two in the afternoon, and I started <laughs> drinking not long after I got up. <laughs> uh, you know, our friend, uh, Mark, Mark S. Mark Schiff, you know, Mark Schiff, yeah, right? Mark he, did the show, yeah, good guy, yeah, no. yeah. He, he, um, he saw me once, uh, he reminded me of this, I don't even remember it, obviously. He saw me, I was drunk in a day, getting tossed out of a a post office in West Hollywood. So that's the level, it was embarrassing. You're you're not cool, you're not hip. There's nothing, you're not at Barney's deanery shooting pool with a leather jacket. You're getting tossed out of a post office in West Hollywood in the daytime. Nothing cool left. So it was time, it was time to, to, I, I was that was a cliche, you know, uh, you know. We're, we're...
0: Did it start? Did you start young? W- w- was it in your? I, oh I yeah, yeah. The... Matt,
1: Alcoholism all over my family, man. All over. We have generation. Look, look. Let's put it this way, my family, my my family, they landed in this country in 1721 from Germany. Right? They were they were ah. tossed out of Germany. 1721. They landed in South Jersey. Never moved out of South Jersey and never got ownership of anything. In other words, they ended in the, in the land of the greatest economic opportunity in the history of the world and didn't do anything. Do you think they're drinking? You think there's some drinking behind <laughs> my family? What, the biggest, what biggest group what under. <laughs> plus my name, Scheidner, my name is spelled, my name originally was Schneider, like Rob Schneider. Right. Like somebody got drunk and angry at somebody else in the family and switched some letters, that's how it got to be Scheidner. They just switched some letters because they got angry at somebody. Just drunken resentments, that's all. It's, my, my dad's side of family, my mom's side of family, her dad was a preacher and a moonshiner right up here in the mountains of North Carolina. So, you know, you, you're, you're selling booze to them all week and then, then Sunday tell them to stop drinking booze. <laughs> you're making money seven days a week.
0: Wow. Okay. So now, how old are you when you start? Is this part of like 11. 11.
1: No, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12. Do you 65.
0: Remember, do you remember your first drunk?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because um, it was so important. I was so desperately, I needed it. I was having panic attacks before that. I couldn't, you know, figure out what the, they were. And I was so fearful. And, um, and, and I needed it badly. And It was alcohol. It was ethyl alcohol. Sold by DuPont chemical factory plant. No, it was a, it was a big God. Factory. my hometown was a huge chemical factory, DuPont, and um, right across from Wilmington, Delaware. And we had the plant on the Jersey side. And everybody's dad worked there. And my friend's older brother was a chemist there. And uh-huh. he brought us a pint of ethyl, hundred percent alcohol, ethyl alcohol, and uh-huh. we mix it with lemonade. And uh, I was, I got, a, I was a blackout drunk the first time. I woke up covered in vomit. And couldn't wait to do it again. You know, I ran around like a maniac, like a 12-year-old maniac, and thought I was the greatest thing in the world.
0: So what uh, what turned for you? How many years did you imbibe, would you say? Probably. 20
1: years, 20 years. 12, what, 12 to
0: 32. What got you to quit? Did you have a bottom?
1: I, I just, yeah, I was done. I was done. I tried everything to stop, Vicki. I tried everything. And I mean, I, I remember specifically one time I... We with Carol. I told her I was going to go down to Barney's Beatery and shoot some pool. That's it. Just going to have a beer because I wasn't doing coke anymore and I'm not smoking weed. I'm not doing. Anything. And I went down there and the next thing I know, I woke up in a, out of a blackout, driving my car through the grapevine towards Bakersfield with two guys in the car who I didn't know who they were. You know, so wow. I've come out of blackouts and accidents. I've come out of blackouts a lot of times. You know, That's what cocaine did for me and speed did for me. It kept me from being a blackout. Kept me a wide awake drunk instead of a blackout drunk. And uh, but boy, you know when you when you come out of a when you come out of a blackout with strangers in the car, you can't go. Hey, who are you guys? You know you got you got to come out sly. You know. Hey, did I say where we're going? Did I mention that? I mean, I'm just curious. Um We were going to Bakersfield because apparently Los Angeles had run out of cocaine, and I knew. <laughs> I knew a dealer in Bakersfield. That's what the plan was.
0: Oh my God. Okay. So you had, you wake up with, with uh, yeah, you're at, wake up, you get out. Okay. So what was, did you go for help to quit? How did you do it? What did you do? Oh, you know what
1: happened? You know, Eddie at the bar at the improv, Eddie at the bar at the improv. And um I kept saying I quit drinking. I mean, I was sitting down in the end of the bar every night drinking and going, you know, doing blowing in the bathroom and just, and Eddie got sick of me. You know, he was like, somebody help this guy because he's down here begging for help. I was just going, he goes, another one, Eddie. I go, yeah, but I got to quit drinking, man. I, I can't quit drinking every night, you know. And so uh, he sent uh, our friend Mark after me and Mark uh, had quit drinking himself. And Mark had a, had a place to take me. And, um, and uh, those people, changed my life did you they had, they all did you way. go
0: out at all or did you stay sober from your first attempt no no
1: I got, I got about 44 days and I and I, I went out I went on the road and I insisted on hanging out with the people I used to hang out with you know right and uh and um it I didn't work well that way and the first night out in the road I went out again and it was like it was worse worse than worse than before it was terrible and uh, came back. And so since May 11th to 85, I haven't had anything.
0: Congrats! that's amazing. Thank you for paving the way. Um, okay, so now let's talk career. So that's how you started getting drunk. How'd you start doing comedy? When did you realize you were funny?
1: I was always funny, but I didn't realize that any idea I could make money out of it. I was always making people laugh. Friends of mine would told me later, you know, when I turned pro that you were making us laugh in grade school and you were always, because it was my house. I noticed that if my dad was laughing, he wasn't swinging his fist, uh-huh. And, and my mom needed, my mom was depressed a lot and she needed cheering up. So I, I was sort of, you know, trying to make her laugh, you know, make my mom laugh and my dad laughed and, um, and other people it just, it was a great defense mechanism for me. I could hide behind a lot of stuff. I could hide behind it. I could really hide behind it. It was a great shield for me because I was very lost. And so was um, there something I was else you wanted
0: to be when you were Yeah, little? I was
1: going to be a lawyer. I was in law school. I know
0: that about um,
1: you. And then I, I, uh, I, I, uh, a friend of mine, Howard Vine, Howard thought I was funny. I thought I was funny. We need another opinion. So he took me to this coffee house. <laughs> he took me to a coffee house to do stand-up comedy in 1977, wow. in January of 1977. And I can, I can still remember us walking through the snow. I had a plan. I didn't I didn't really, you know, I'd worked up five minutes or so of something, you know, to do. And uh, and I wrote a joke that actually got a little reaction. That was enough. You know, like just a little, I remember Jerry Seinfeld once talking about his first time on stage, It's the same thing. Like one guy at one point went, hey, that's it. That was all. That was it. You know, he's sort of like, hey, oh, yeah. Not really funny. Nobody joined him. You know what I mean? But it Do was you remember
0: enough. the first joke you wrote?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I said, uh, it, it. it is funny because uh, you, you know how to write a joke, even though you don't know how to write. But this is my joke. I said, you can always tell who's going to win a wrestling match just by the introduction. In professional wrestling, it'll be in a far corner, wearing the orange trunks from Hackensack, New Jersey, 187 pounds. Ed Arnold, his opponent from Parts Unknown, <laughs> weighing 487 pounds, wearing a bumper from 1955 Buick on his head, Haystacks Calhoun, same thing. With high school wrestling. It's the same thing in 130-pound weight class from Oakcrest Regional High School. Two-time New Jersey State champion, two-time Christmas tournament champion, undefeated senior <laughs> captain Bob Rocky His opponent from Pencil High School, former student council treasurer. That's it. That's it. That got that got one guy going like that. But you know, Vicky, because I didn't know how to perform, I probably just memorized it and and you know recited it.
0: Who who and, were your and, heroes um, when I you were? Who, who were the comics that that you watched uh, when you were a kid? Oh, that,
1: like, I here here's a if if people saw me and they go, he reminds me of um, Ed Norton from The Honeymooners. If they said, you know. If they, if they, you used to have that. a
0: bit of that look going on too.
1: All yeah. that, I'd say you get, you get, you got it. You know, I do that. Uh, I loved watching Red Skelton when I was a kid, mm-hmm. right? I loved, I loved on on the Andy and Mayberry show. I loved Ernest T. Bass. <laughs> wow. So these are the, these are comic people that I liked, you know, and um, I liked Agar, uh, you know, on on F Troop. Oh right? my god. Larry How- Storch right? A- yeah. by going. So I love these These are the people that I thought were funny. Walter Brennan and the real McCoys, right? Gosh, join it.
0: It's very physical. There
1: yeah, but they were all, these are the ones that made me laugh. And then when I get into comedy, my dad had albums. You know, I, I love Bob Newhart's brilliant way with words and, and his, his way his mind worked. He, I love listening to his albums and, and these are the people I you know just listen to him. Um, later, of course, I found Lenny Bruce in college. But the first comics I saw live were Robert Klein, George Carlin, Martin Mull. Martin Mull was a very dry way of going about things. Uh, These were the first ones that I saw. And um, uh, you know, how can you just then, Then I, when Richard Pryor's movie came out like 79, um, I think I watched it every day for a week. I went to the theater every day for a week. I had his albums when uh, when I was in, uh, law school. I listen to his albums a lot. So all the people you would think that I listened to, of course, are watched, of course, you know. Visit.
0: How did you make the segue from law school to comedy?
1: Well, I just was, you know, I started doing it in 77. And in Washington, D.C., there was a place called El Brookman's, which opened up. It was a bar down in southeast and part of the bad neighborhood. But it was this little dingy country western bar that started doing comedy. The young owner, the son of the owners, started doing comedy. So I show up and then and then all these comics, Ron Zimmerman and Kevin Rooney and, <laughs> and Bill Masters and people uh-huh. you probably know, Lewis Black. Um, there were a lot of people who showed up there. John Heyman um, 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 that showed up and started doing comedy there. So I met these guys and then Garvin's this comedy club in, in up on Connecticut Avenue was the first paying comedy club on the East coast, right? In 1979. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I started opening up for a lot of bands. I opened up for a lot of bands, like I opened up for Rick Danko, and I opened up for uh, the Chicago and I opened the up the Ramones. For,
0: Didn't you open for the for, Ramones?
1: For my first 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 paying job was the Ramones. Wow.
0: Was paying
1: job. And then how, you know,
0: how, how are the audiences with you? If you're opening for the Ramones, what happens when a comic walks out
1: first? <laughs> I got I got you know, I'll tell you the short version. They threw beer at me. I mean I, I was on <laughs> 30 seconds. Cause I had no, I had no. Look, they booed me as I was walking up on point stage. They booed me before I got to the stage. I was like, you, you don't know I'm, I suck yet. Yeah, I suck, but you don't know that yet, you know. So I proved it to them, and they, they just started throwing beer at me. I mean, it just really happened fast, you know. And and I was, but I was not going to leave because I had a bet with the bar, the owner, you know, the double or nothing for my fifty dollars. So I'm not going to leave. So wow. he waves them when I leave. I'm soaked. I'm soaked with beer. I go back in the dressing room. One of the Ramones looks at me, goes, "Cool act, man." You know, like absolutely. <laughs> so I had um, we booked, we did this book. Schiff and I did this book called "I Killed," and uh, we wanted to get a review by the Washington Post. The New York Times reviewed it. And the Washington Post were going to re- They said they'll review it, and then they said they couldn't review it because the, the the music critic said he was at that Ramones show at the Child Howl in 1978, and there was no opening act. And I said, well, that's not true because I was there on the opening act. And then a few months later, right? He calls back, he he, he calls the, the critic and says, listen, I apologize to that comic because I was talking about that Ramon show and being no opening act there. And my wife who was with me at that show said, well, there was a disturbance at the front of the stage. <laughs> and so that's what I was. I was, that should have been like building my act, disturbance at the front of the stage. but." Some acts, look, I learned how to do it. I learned how to open up for Captain Beefheart. I mean, I opened up for Danko. I learned how to do it. 500,000 people.
0: Okay, you know, so I, wait. Because if you're opening for, up uh, for music and for a rock band, right. whatever, and they want that music and you walk out there and they've got that Ramones attitude where they're going to throw things. What
1: was your get them?
0: How did you well, get them? I, I,
1: had, I had a lot of get them. First of all, I started writing. You know, I'd come out. I had a fake joint hanging out of my mouth. You know, <laughs> I walk out, right, with a, like a real like, fake joint, and I, I'd go, I go like this, and I pass it to some of the audience right off the bat before I said a word to anybody. I said, "Go ahead, man, pass it around. Pass it around. Look, we can all get high on that tonight. If Jesus did it with a loaf and a fish, we can try this with a joint tonight." It was just cigarette, but wow. I did stuff I kept grabbing right away, and I, I, had a light up yo-yo. I had, um, because um, they were, they were, you know, it was. I remember i opened up for the plasmatics remember wendy o williams and the plasmatics sure. it, so she came out topless and she had electrical tape over her nipples right just two little strips of electrical tape right so oh, and- i'm, I'm opening up, open up for them in dc yeah. and uh they, it was a it was a raucous punk band and no matter what right. i did they weren't they weren't going for it so finally it's like i have more ways of saying fuck you than they do that's that's the whole thing you know I, mean? I have a lot of ways and so finally, I went. Listen, listen, you assholes, the the band's not coming out until fifteen minutes after I come out. They're not coming out. If you shoot me dead now, right? You're just gonna watch my body decompose on stage because they're not coming out any sooner. You get it? And you bunch of fucking idiots. And and they were like, they want. Ah. And then of course, as soon as that was over, one well, of the guys goes, "Let's shoot him." You know what I mean? <laughs> like, right? But I come, but I. But I got him enough, you know, I, I can't, I win. If I, to me, if I held the stage back then, I won. But I came off that, that stage that night, right? And Wendy Williams was getting ready to go on and she hands me a beer. She goes, I'll show those fuckers. Don't worry, I'll get them. <laughs> she goes out, she had a gun. She had a real gun. Part of their act was they chainsawed the television and half, right? She's out there topless, right? She comes out and she shoots the gun into the ceiling. And I thought, and plaster comes down, right? Like plaster. I thought, Holy oh, shit. that's a good magic act, right? Wow. I think they must have rigged it so that when she shot the blank, right, some plaster that's from right. the top of the ceiling, right? So I turned to one of the stage and I said, that's a good magic act. He says, "Ain't no fucking magic act." So she put a real bullet in there tonight. She put a oh, fucking shot in there. His... Wow! So, wow! Okay. It was um.
0: So, so you started, all right. So you're still in law school and you're starting to do standup or you leave law school? Yeah, I'm doing
1: it more and more, I'm doing it more and more. I'm getting into it more and more. I'm being seduced by the laughter. Look, what the laughter did for me was like a drug. When we talk about drugs, it connected me with people in a way I'd never felt connected off stage. I always felt outside everybody. Even with my best friends, I'd come up and I feel like they, they all know something that I don't know. They all are connected in a way that I can't get connected. But when I was on stage making a room full of people laugh, I felt differently about people and I felt differently about myself. There was no other thing I ever did that made me more in the moment, forgetting all my past and not worrying about the future. There was nothing that put me more in the moment like doing stand-up comedy. And so that's a thing, you, you I'm not going to get that anywhere else. And law, as much as I love the idea of the law and I did some good things when I was working in, in the law, you know, I mean just in law school, I, I was good at it. But I didn't care anymore. I just wanted that drug. I wanted that feeling of being free up there, truly free. I didn't go on stage high. I mean, I did, I messed up, you know, never intentionally, never was like, I gotta get high to go in. I never got the took shot to go into a couple of shots and do it, you know, no. I wanted to be straight up there because that, that's the only way it worked for me. Right. It worked that way. And when I was straight up there and I was like, I am really free, even during my drug in Now now. During my, my, you know, the, the, the early 80s drug and, and drinking. Right. I'd start drinking on stage about it. And back then they let you do long shows. There were no drunk right. driving laws, right? So right. if I'm over on stage an hour and a half, two hours, sometimes two and a half hours, about an hour and a half in, I cracked my first beer, you know, right? I mean, but um, it was something that it just seduced me so fast. Once I started getting laughs and I, I got good at it in DC Right. When I went to New York, I, I had a head of steam. I felt like I was pretty good. So and and well, I, let's I,
0: talk I, about not. how this how this started to blossom for you because, I mean, I, I don't uh, eleven appearances with Johnny Carson, something like that. Letterman, Leno, what later? What and and you were on television. I mean, you were on Roseanne. You were on uh, what's the other one? You were on. You were on another one? You were you well and you were working with Jeff Roxworthy, you were doing all of this stuff how did the success start to happen for you when I
1: got to New York then I met you know there were guys in DC who had straight jobs and they were they were doing it as a lark and funny and there were a couple of guys who obviously I mentioned them they all became lifers you know like people who stood all the way mm-hmm. I got to New York there were a hundred comics up there who were obsessed as I was right and then you then then I started getting lessons. I remember working a gig with Jerry Seinfeld. I'll mention him again, but you know it was one of those gigs in Jersey where you know I knew when I was in a bar in Jersey. I knew what I had to do to get over. You know I was not going to get fancy. I was going to set the mower low and cut some grass. You know, right? <laughs> so does
0: that mean like being blue and that's all that? right, man. That's yeah. right.
1: It's like you want to fuck, we'll fuck around. You know what I mean? We'll we'll bang heads a little bit. And, uh, yeah. I, you know, I got, I, like I said, I have a million mother ways of saying you're an asshole than you have saying I'm an asshole. You know what I mean? And and um, and get dirty. And Jerry comes out and he went on first and he was the more established act, right? Right. Um, Jerry Stanley said, look, Jerry, Jerry will go first and you, there was another act and then Jerry and me. And I was like, no, he should be closed. And Jerry goes up and it's clean, man, clean. He's not getting them. Like, I know they could be gotten. But he doesn't care because he's, he's not working just that show that night. Right. He's thinking of doing this material in night Show. He's thinking of, he's honing this stuff to take the TV. So he's not cussing. He's not doing what he can do, like you know, spark it up a little bit with a couple of fucks and shits and whatever and make it fly that night. Right. So I go out and I do that. I do what I gotta do, You know, like it's a rock crowd. And we're driving back and, and Jerry laid it out for me. He said, look, why, do you, why are you working like that? You're a funny guy. But if you work blue, when you take those curse words out, it'll mess up the timing of your joke when you take it on television. It was the first time I was like, oh, this guy, he's really thinking this through. Wow. There's a guy, these guys are thinking about it. You know, they're, they are I'm like just the mechanics. I, I'm just wanting the mechanics of how to get these people laughing for me right now. He's got a plan. hes hes right. He's got theory. He's thinking of how everything works. It was a there were all these guys up there like that. There were there were so many great comics up in New York. Um, I can name them, but i i i you know, i Rick Overton and 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 Glenn Hirsch and and and, and Gilbert Godfrey, Larry Miller. See, I would have stopped forgetting them because then, of course, Carol Leeper was great and Paul Reiser, and there was mm-hmm. there was Ronnie Shakes, mm-hmm. uh, the, Kelly Rogers, or Bill Maher. Mm-hmm. There, were, there were bells are ruled Catcherizing rising star right? right joe bolster there were so many dennis wolfberg there were so many good mm-hmm. comics it's ridiculous and they were all as hungry as i was you know i mean I'd, I'd do five six sets a night if i could do it you know i'd go all over town just go on stage every time because it's all stage time and every time you try something new you
0: so have you, you've already uh, cut and run on law school or are you still doing that? Oh yeah, yeah,
1: 79, I was like, I told my parents, I said, I'm not gonna be a lawyer, which, you know, my dad, he looked like, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald <laughs> shot by Ruby. He was gut, he was gut shot. And my mom just, my mom who was the quiet one always, whatever, you know, she just screamed, are oh, you crazy? You know, and uh, and uh, I said, I gotta go. And I went and uh, I, I, I didn't talk to him much for a while, you know? Um, I was just up there doing it, you know trying to trying to get by, make a living up there and, and, I would um,
0: imagine getting on the Tonight Show was a great um, uh, forgiver of not being a lawyer.
1: Well it took me it took me about five times before my dad finally came around. I was on a show with Don Rickles, who was his favorite comic or one of his favorite oh. comics and and Johnny and I made Johnny and, and Don Rickles laugh and then my dad called me up. The next day he would never talked me after any tonight show any letterman or anything and wow. said you're really good at this you're you're you made johnny carson and don rickles laugh you know i mean that so that was a big sh- off my back you know but um wow but before it didn't matter before that didn't matter i had to do this i had to do this
0: did it take you a while how did it take you a while did you have to do other jobs to make a living at the beginning i had, one,
1: I, had I had one other I had a job up there i was i was broke and i was like late, late for my rent so the it was down in the you know the, down in the village east village and and yeah. new york was starting to kind of feel like you feel like something was happening right like they're rehabbing apartments and the manager of my apartment building said hey can you do carpentry work and i lied you know i said yeah he said well it's like you know 10 bucks an hour under the table and i go over to this job and Right these guys, it, they're it's redoing apartments. You know, redoing apartment old abandoned apartment buildings were being redone. It took these guys five minutes to realize that I didn't know anything about anything carpentry, but that I was an okay guy and I go out ran errands for him Go get them cigarettes. Go get them food. Go get a beer. Make them laugh. Keep things going. Clean up after them. So the next day, the guy goes, "Yeah, you, you're not a carpenter, but you can clean up." Right? I said, "Yeah, my family <laughs> on this planet, manual labor <laughs> kept my family on this planet for a long time," and. Uh, <laughs> So he sent me over to this job. He said, "Go over to this job, meet these guys outside this building. you got going to clean out this building tonight." So, so I go over there, and there's like four Italian guys, four young Italian guys. Yeah. Like, right, right, completely, you know, right out of mean streets. <laughs> so safety cast this whole quadrant, <laughs> and I'm outside. I come outside, and so I'm like, "You're you're okay, good man, good." And they're passing around a bottle of, you know, a pint. They're passing around a pint. Everybody's taking a couple of hits. And we go in and cleaning out, man. We were throwing squatters out of buildings. There were squatters all over these the village, and these guys were buying buildings and they were rehabbing. So you had to throw the squatters out. So we went and we pound on doors. You got to get your stuff, get out of here. We're going to throw you out. And we were throwing things out of windows, you know, TV sets, whatever. We we're just throwing stuff out of windows and throwing people out. And uh, that was cleaning out the buildings. Really, it wasn't like going and sweeping up a floor. We were throwing people out. And, uh, I did that How with these you guys. for
0: throw people out people out of the five,
1: five bucks an hour under the table, five bucks cash. <laughs> and I was, I was doing that all day. And then I'd go catch a quick nap at home, you know, and then I'd head to the club so I could be there. Whenever the show started at eight o'clock, I had to be there. I had wow. to sit at a bar and wait, you know, like a vulture, like a right. vulture, wait for somebody not to show up. So, so I was burning both ends of the, the candle, but, um, Eventually, you know, I started making money and then I didn't. So to how did
0: business. it turn for you, Rich? How did it turn so that you were making I mean, a living?
1: Well, at, at first, uh, you know, I'm still going back to D.C. to make money and all. And then um, um, the club Garvin's, Harry, fell out with the, the woman who was booking the club, Sandy Kalanak. They fell out. They had an argument. So Harry calls him and says, listen, will you book Garvin's down? Book the club for me. I'll give you three hundred bucks a month, and I go three hundred bucks a month. My rent is one hundred and fifteen dollars. Wow, you know, uh, three hundred bucks, and I'm made. I'm made. Wow. So I did that, and that's that. But I, I, I couldn't do that for. I think I did it for about five, six months, right? I, I, you know what I mean? Um, Are you took, able to
0: put yourself into the show?
1: Yeah, no, I only came down there once Once during, uh, before. I didn't put myself then because I had already been down there. You know, I was from there. I used to be the MC at the club. Right. So, um, but the re- main problem was it was forcing me to judge comics and I didn't feel worthy to judge them. Because I was just trying to make my way in the scene itself. And now I'm like, Kaiser, ones are easy. You know, send Kelly Rogers back again. That's easy. Send Rick Overton back. That's easy. But there are guys coming up, you know, like, the guys from Long Island, who I liked them at all, Jackie, Martling, i am like, hey, we wanna go down there. I'm like, I, this is not the kind of, this is not a Jersey bar club, you know? And right. so I had to make some choices and 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 um, it didn't, I didn't feel good about it. I didn't feel good doing it. So Jeff Penn was a, a young agent hanging down in DC. And I gave him that job and he, he became uh, a very good, um, producer of comedy shows, and he, he, it was, that, that was his thing, you know, being an agent and a producer, mm-hmm. so it was, I got out of that, and then I, was then I was making money, but the co- club started opening up, like 1980, comic strip in Fort Lauderdale, we went down there, I went down there to do a gig with Carol and all, Kelly Rogers, Kelly Rogers goes, we're on a phone, Con- the condo had a phone, right, that's how, that's how early this was, condo had a telephone in it, he goes, Come over here, he's holding the thing to his chest, he goes, Whatever this guy asked you, tell him you can do it. So I get on the phone. And I go, hello. He goes, listen, I need a comic up here in Ottawa next week. Can you do two 45-minute shows, separate shows, two 45 minutes? You need an hour and a half show. And I go, yeah, I can do it. I hang up. They go, I got a half hour if they laugh at everything. You know? <laughs> you know, that's all I got. He goes, go, 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 write, start writing. And I I did. I I, I grew, you know. Wow. I, mean, I, I, I Wrote like crazy, and when I got up there, my plan was be funny the first show as funny as I could be. All my good stuff in the first show, because if they think I'm funny, it'd be easier to make them laugh in the second show. You know, and I was writing like crazy, and and I and I and then I went from there to Montreal the next week in Montreal, the next week in Toronto, and all of a sudden these clubs were opening everywhere. And you know, when when I'm making seven hundred bucks a weekend and my rent's hundred ten dollars, I'm doing nice. okay.
0: Life's good. Life's good. So how did you segue over to television? How'd you get your first TV gig?
1: Uh, first one was Eating at the Improv. You know, that was a cast out of the improv in New York and LA. Then I got out there and started doing Merv Griffins and that sort of thing. And then Tonight Show in 84.
0: How'd you get the Tonight and
1: Show? I was I was was living in LA and remember Sam Kennison, Screaming Sam, Sam.
0: Ah, my, ah. He was my favorite. <laughs>
1: So him and I were buddies and I said, I'm getting out of LA, 84 is the Olympics. And I said, this is going to be a mess. This place is going to be a mess. I could always see it. They were like, you know, tourists were going to be, you know, you knew they were going to be in the club and they couldn't speak English. And it was, it was a traffic was going to be even worse than usual. I said, I'm going to New York. I'm going to spend a summer in New York. He said, I've never been to New York. I want to go. I said, let's go. So we went to New York and uh, Sam loved it and they loved him. And I'm on stage at the Improv one night and Jim McCauley, who was the booker of the Tonight Show, I never bothered him, never said a word to him because I got that advice when I first got out there. I got good advice from people. Uh-huh. People who, you know, like Jay Leno would say, don't bug McCauley, don't bug <laughs> him. He'll find you, believe me, he'll find you. He'll be watching you, don't wow. bug him. The guy's bugging and they, they, they see him too early and they're not ready, he'll know when you're ready. And so I, 84, he comes to New York. He got out of LA too, because he's like, it, it was a mess. like I right. thought. And he shows up there, the improv. And then I walk off stage. He walks up to me and says, you're ready to do tonight's show. I want to give you a date in two weeks. And then we go out to a bar, you know, and wow. we pull all the jokes that he saw me do out. And I give him a couple others. And we stitch together, you know, like this weird stitching together of a five minute bit, you know, mm-hmm. five minute punk. You pull a joke from this bit, a joke from that section and you stitch them all together with weird segways you know i was gonna say <laughs> like, that's got to be crazy yeah that's the weird part you know um you know you, you see that segue. you know was, you know you'd end up with a water skiing joke and you go, you yeah, know i water skiing i got my hair wet and hey, you know, i reminds you i was getting my hair cut you know so you got <laughs> water skiing the hair the haircut you know so um but that was it that was my first time august '84.
0: And how did, how did it go? Did Johnny give you the, how did
1: I got there. I got, as Rodney says, give me one of these, right? Give me one of these. That's all I, want. I want one of these. I'm okay. You're okay. Johnny said, so Johnny says you're okay. You're okay. Yeah, That's a great uh, Rodney. Yeah. I think every white guy in America can do Rodney after a certain age, you know, Rodney. I love Rodney. Everybody loved Rodney.
0: So, okay. So you get Johnny, you, 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 Get a lot of te- you were doing a lot of television. Yeah,
1: Life- yeah, I got sober. When I got sober, everything got went in another gear. I got TV deals. You know, I mean that those things wait, were sweet. Wait, wait.
0: let's stop here and, and stop here for a second. Did you? Were you afraid at all when you got sober that you wouldn't be funny anymore? Did oh my God! Yeah. Oh well, yeah.
1: I thought it was over. I thought it. I said uh, I, I don't know if I can go back to law school. I thought the, everything was over. I, I hadn't written a joke. I had written a new joke about drinking and and I'd I, I lost my sense of humor. It dried up in the first few months of sobriety. And then when I started running and one day I was out running and, you know, like for comic jokes, you get the setup premise. Sometimes and you get the punchline later. Right. You got a punch. notice a good punchline. I got to build a setup to go to it. You know, this thing landed in a hole, landed one piece in front of me. I was running and it just landed in front of me. Wow. I said, you know, I don't care how much you love each other. Could be those moments in any relationship where one minute look at the other person, you think to yourself, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And your next thought could be, how can I fake my death? (laughs) Like it broke. That was like 1985. And I went, I remember that. Right. It broke. And I I started doing a lot of material. that was different for me. and, And Macaulay saw me and said, your whole attitude has changed. Your whole energy has changed. Your whole uh because uh, oh, you, you
0: have to back up before you get to this part because didn't you do a set on the tonight show that Johnny didn't like before yeah oh yeah, tell, oh, tell,
1: yeah. Tell, tell that story i was, i was i was drinking and drugging with sam a lot yeah and uh, and so 84 they brought me right back they go uh you come back in two months to do your next one right wow so the first one i managed to stop drinking and drugging three four days before the show which is not, was good for me yeah the second one, I managed to not do cocaine the night before I did the show. But I was drinking. <laughs> yeah. That was as much as, as best I could do yeah. I remember. That's the best I, I can remember. I might not have even done that. But I show up that day in my head, Sam had gotten in my head and he said, you got to do something edgier. This is not edgy enough for you, man. You're edgier. You got to do, you got this new bit about, had a whole new bit about Jesus talking to his agent." that we saw this band together called Striper, which is a a Christian rock band. And the lead singer comes out and he says, you know, Jesus was the first rock and roller. And so I turned to Sam and I said, they just put the son of God in showbiz. You know, he must've had an agent. Jesus talking to his agent. You gotta get me out of the hills and valleys. I'm dying out there. You know, book me to the temple. The temple, that's where the money is. You know, you, you, you young kids, you forget. First of all, I had you booked open Messiah, Night a year ago, you walk in to the money changers table, you knock it over. I can't get you booked back in the temple. No way. No way. <laughs> you go out there and you do some things. You make a name for yourself. The walking on the water is good. And the water, the wine, that's nice. Bring them back for the dead, but you gotta build something. You know, Moses, Moses, 40 years in the desert to make his name. 40 years. He took 40 years and he made a good name, solid, solid name in the business. You got to work a little harder. I right? work harder. All right, all right, all right. Nail me to a cross. You got something there. That's a closer. You can close with that. Nail you to a cross. I like it. So I, I go into Macaulay thinking I'm going to talk you into this bit, right? And he goes, yeah. you can't do that on a tonight show. Wow. But I was ready with another idea. I said, well, I want to do this thing about, um, can't remember the guy's name, Barney something. I want to say Barney Frank, but I wasn't Barney Frank. Might have been Barney, Barney Franks, Barney somebody, the guy who had the first artificial heart. He just had the first artificial heart implanted, right? And I had some jokes about that. I said, you know, he said, oh, he'll live, uh, it, it will affect his life somewhat. He's got an 800 pound machine next to him. He's tied to, right? It's got to at least effective this his bowling night. He's got guys pushing it down the lane with him. Hurry up, hurry up. Oh, come on. I did all these heart attack jokes and I did uh, jokes about the paddle, the defibrillators. And I closed, I talked Macaulay and they let me use those as my closure instead of what we had agreed with a month before. And I come off stage the first time. It's like, stand over here. Johnny wants to see you. Come get a picture with Johnny. (laughs) I come off the stage the second time Macaulay grabs me, hands a beer, drags me, drags me to my dressing room, pushes me in my dressing room, says, don't come out. Don't come out. Don't answer the door until I come back and shuts the door. I'm like, Beard oh, I, I, I was aware enough that something was wrong. Oh. They went up and they had a meeting after the show. Johnny hated my heart. Johnny was a four pack a day cigarette smoker. Right. He had fear of heart attack. And I'm doing all these heart attack jokes. Didn't oh. Like, it.
0: Barney Clark, uh, Tony says. Barney okay. Clark. Thank yeah.
1: you. <laughs> Barney Frank was the, uh, the, 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 congressman.
0: There so, you- uh,
1: so, so they, they uh, banned me. For, for, he says, look, I, I'm sorry. Oh. man. I, I can't get you back on the show. I, you know." And then when he saw me sober like a year later, yeah. you know, so different, he said, look, it was my fault for uh, approving that. In material. I approved it. So it was uh-huh. really my fault. I'm going to go to bat for you and try to get you back on the show. You're very different. I think Johnny will like what you're doing now. And he brought me back. And I then I did like 10, 12 more, whatever it was, I did more.
0: So now when that happens, when uh, when you get banned from The Tonight Show, and then, so he talked, so Johnny knew you were coming back, obviously. Um, yeah, he,
1: oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So what happened, what was his reaction to you the time when you came back? I came,
1: when I came back, the third time I came back, I went the panel. That's a, I, I went right, you know, I, when I finished, I read a great set, and he called me over to the panel. Look, when I was drinking, the difference was I was so out of my mind, and, and everything. I once, there was a, a movie they were making out of the book, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I don't know if you remember yes, that. Or not. Sure. Remember 80s, early 80s. They're going to do a movie about it. I got an audition. So I sit up drinking and drugging. I don't like the script. I don't think the script, and this is in my mind, doesn't match the book. So I'm going to rewrite the script and help them, help them by rewriting the script, right? They used to send you the whole script back then, not just some sides. right. So I'm rewriting it, changing oh the God. jokes, changing, putting everything. This will be fantastic. My lines all change, everything. I come in to read and I go, listen, I've helped you guys out here. You know, I just want to tell you here I've rewritten a script for you. And let's, let's go with this. And they're like, thank you. Goodbye. You know, right? And my, my agent called me. I got, I got a message on my machine, but what the fuck are you doing? You're fired. I got fired by that agent because uh, I was out of my mind. Wow. So, so when I got I, sober, that yeah. changed. It changed.
0: How did you segue from writing for yourself and your stand-up? to then becoming a TV writer how did that happen
1: so I did five pilots five development deals they only had four networks I did 20 okay. of them wait
0: what what's what's the first thing how do you get that first pilot gig they what they,
1: happened? I, they, 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 um, they saw me performing somewhere some executives saw me performing this is when you know Cosby was hot to they show they're starting looking for stamps everywhere they're looking for stamps you know my myself right. and, and of course, guys who, who shows came on, Roseanne had a show. You know, They're, they, they're looking for the next sitcom star right. out of stand-up. So they're looking at stand-up. So I I got seen there. I got seen up at the Montreal Comedy Festival. I got seen, a couple, there, there, there were places where you been seen, and and they right. said you, you, a development deal, which was six figures. They pay you six figures to do nothing while wow. they wrote a show for you, which meant I could still go do everything else I wanted to do, all the stand-up I wanted to do, and then... You know, and then go Did shoot. Did you
0: have guy. a writing partner? Did they
1: assign you? No, somebody? no, they would you. It's a very difficult thing. You go and you meet somebody, and you have to decide whether to marry them or not in one lunch. Don't don't give you like three meetings, three different writers. Don't say that you meet this one, meet with this one, meet that one. You know, the, the the network decides. So you you're like dating, and you're going to decide to. It's like the dating game, but you're getting married. You know? wow. you're getting married, and uh, so you just do the best you can with it. I was. I had five, didn't go. Um, and um, I, I I got um, a job down in Charleston, South Carolina. I got a kid now, a new kid. It's like 1992 or something.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And uh, I got a kid and this new comedy club was in a sports bar across from his hockey rink arena. And the Eagles were playing their um, Hell Freezes Over tour. They were in there. And I'm in the comedy club in a sports bar across the street Big, nice sports bar, big, nice room for comedy. Uh-huh. The three, four hundred people packed. It was great. I get heckled by this guy. And this guy's a good heckler. He's good, man. He knows he's sharp. He's funny. He's not disruptive. We have volleys back and forth where we're both getting laughs. And uh, and he backs off. And then I do a run of material. And I'd go, we got a roll going. I'd go over to the piano and I'd pick up the glass of water. And I'd look out there. And here he comes back. And then we bang, 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 bang. End of the show, I come off big. Standing ovation, fantastic show. This guy was unbelievable. It was like a team. And uh, the manager comes over and says, "You know who that was?" I said, "No." He said, "It's Sean Penn. Sean Penn's here, and he wants to Stop hang out." Stop that! Me. <laughs> wow. Sean Penn was, 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 I, I, I'm not. Can't remember what movie he was doing. Might have been Dead Man Walking. I don't know what year, like '92, around there.
0: Wow. I
1: don't know what he was doing in South Carolina, but he's there. So we go hang out in this. 90s, Wait, is, like, he,
0: is he loaded when he's doing this with you?
1: Maybe. He was doing whatever he was doing. Doing whatever he was doing. I don't know what he was doing. Because I can't I, imagine him sober doing that. But okay. I didn't test him. I didn't test yeah. him. But I'm just say this. We stayed up all night. I was drinking Coca Colas, right? And that's it. And Sean was doing whatever Sean was doing. Okay. At the, end of the night five in the morning, I go. I'm done. I'm going to go get some breakfast at the Waffle House and go to sleep. I'm done, man. I got to go. Oh, oh, before you go, before you go, I want to say something to you. And I think he's going to go, we need to do a movie together. You and I, we need to do something, man. (laughs) Yeah. He goes, you got to move to LA. And I go, I've lived in LA for 10 years. I thought he knew who I was. (laughs) He he thought he just ran across a funny guy in South Carolina. And I realized, I went back to my hotel, I go, I'm not making a dent in LA. Nobody knows who I am. So I got a kid and I don't know what I'm going to do, but I can't go on the road here and have my kids like in a storage locker in la so um a friend of mine says look everybody likes your writing man they think you're a good writer people think why don't you write for sitcoms and it never occurred to me because i was always trying to be the person out front right so the
0: the pilots you were writing you were writing for yourself to launch Oh no 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 no
1: no. these were written by other people other people wrote these pilots i I would rewrite with them you know they I i would try to punch up with them you know to help them out in any way i could but they, they were writers. They were writers. Oh. I was not a writer. Okay. So I came back and it was um, February or something. You know, the, 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 the season was nearly over or maybe a couple months before the season was over, but nobody was looking to, to, to hire writers at the time. They had staffs and they were in the second, you know, half of the season. But my friend said, look, call up everybody you know who has a show and tell them, look, you want them to be considered as a writer next year. You'll write a, you'll write a, you know, a spec script and, uh, So I called up Seinfeld and I called up uh, um, uh, Tim Allen and I called up um, uh, Roseanne and Roseanne called me back that night and said, you want a job? Show up tomorrow at the studio. You got a job. I love you. And I showed up and I started writing for- Did you know Roseanne from stand up? up. Yeah, I knew her from stand up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, Roseanne came to town when she blew into town. I think I might've met her first up in Denver. I can't remember for sure. But I remember meeting her over at to Comedy Store. and she came in, she was a force. She was an absolute, there was nothing like her, man. I mean, nothing like what she was doing. And she was so strong and so like, just funny, flat out killer funny.
0: That first Rodney Dangerfield Young Comedian special, it was Sam, it was Roseanne, Bob Nelson. I was in the Laughter Company with him uh, just before that. But she was-
1: now, did, There's a guy. When I talk about Red Skelton, there was the modern Red Skelton right there. Was Bob Nelson? He mm-hmm. was the modern Red Skelton. I mean, if anything came close to what Red Skelton was, I mean his his performance she skills be- and the yeah. stes that he created. I think my favorite might have been the Duck Hunter, but he had so many great things there. But that you're right, Sam and her. You know, I mean, they wanted Sam and her to be married with children at first. They wanted to cast them as the leads in Married with Children. No kidding. Yeah, I I got it on that. You know, so. So let's um, talk about that. How did you get married with children? Because I was on a roll, I was hot and, and everybody was looking for, you know, what I could do. And um, I'd gone to, you know, network where you're down to three actors, right? They go, call, they go to network when the producers, right. you've met the producer, you've auditioned a series of rounds to get to the finals. And now they bring in the network people and they're gonna make a right. decision on the cast. So I got the right. network on Cheers. When they replaced the coach, it was me, Woody Harrelson and a guy named, um, I can't remember his name now, but but Timothy Threadgill, who if you ever see the documentary, Grizzly Man, he's the, the star of this documentary, gets eaten by a grizzly man. So he, um, uh, he the three of us were three blondes. I was the East Coast blonde, Woody was the Midwest blonde, thumb <laughs> blondes, right? And this guy Threadgill was the West Coast blonde, right? He was a, a surfer kind of guy. Mm-hmm. So uh, obviously they made the choice correctly with Woody. And then the next thing I auditioned for was Married with Children. Now there was no network. It's not even the show. It's a brand new show on a brand new network that hadn't even started yet. But wow. we're doing it. We're doing it. We get down to the three of us, the network again, and we're sitting in, in the hallway over at the um, Paramount, I think it was, over Gower, on Gower. And um, the two producers, Michael Moy and Ron Levitt, the writers. Producers, creators come walking down the hallway. The actor sitting across from me jumps up. He goes, "Michael!" They, got, they hug. The guy's got his luggage. Here. Michael's like, "Don't worry, get your luggage in the car. My wife's got your room made up. You're gonna love L.A." I'm like, "Well, this is a done deal. What am I even here, right? Right?" The other, the other actor, he's like, just like, Ugh. you know, he's like the, the same as I feel. So I get up to leave. I stand up, going, "I'm getting out of here." Right then. The assistant comes out and she goes, Rich, you're first. Come on. So I go back there. I don't care. I there's no better way to go in an audition. I Absolutely. don't care. Right. I'm mocking everything. I'm mocking the show. I'm mocking the network that doesn't exist. I'm <laughs> mocking everything, making fun of everything, this the room, the where I'm at. And so I had the best audition of my life.
0: Wow!
1: What I didn't know was when I won the role, because the networks, Ron Levitt told me later, when you left, Michael Moy, after the three of us all finished, he goes, this guy, he's a New York train actor, his buddy, he wanted his buddy to have, it, right? Right. The network's right. like, no, 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 give it to the funny guy. This is a funny <laughs> role, it's a cutter role. You know, you're, you're playing Al Bundy's friend, the the, lefario, the the shoe salesman, you know, always chasing chicks, give it to this guy. Well, my role was dead as soon as I got it because Michael Moy hated it, hated me, hated the role. Uh-huh. He just wanted to kill it. So I did seven episodes, and you know, you find out you don't got your job anymore in Hollywood, right? So every Friday I get a script, and on I'd work on it in the weekend with my acting coach, and then Monday we go table read, start the week ready to shoot. Right. Done this seven times in a row. The eighth week, I don't get my script delivered on Friday. I call my agent, I go, hey they didn't deliver my script. There must be a place. Yeah. Yeah. There's a problem delivery. I'll call you right back. Calls right back is got bad news. Got bad news. <laughs> you're, you're fired. That's how you find out. Yeah.
0: Ouch. All right. Ah. So, you know, I could, I, I literally, I don't even have what we've been talking for, for two hours. I could talk to you for two more, but I, before we go, I want, I want a couple stories. One is you wrote this book. I killed and with Mark with Mark Schiff. Right. And, um, what's a favorite story from that? It's, it's about, it's. You, uh, tell us a little bit about I Killed.
1: Wow, favorite story from it. I haven't seen that book in so long. So we we were writing on Blue Collar TV mm-hmm. and it was Bill Engvall and, 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 and Ron White and um, Larry the Cable Guy and Jeff Foxworthy and Blaine Capach and myself. Like, now nah, I'm going to mess up here. There's a couple other stand-ups who are writers. We're all, a lot, of, a lot of stand-ups there. So one day in the writing room, we start telling stories, war stories, you know, road right. stories, and right. everybody's laughing. And people are coming from down the hall. There's so much laughter in this room. People are coming. Next thing I know, I look up, the whole room's packed, and this uh, young woman uh, writer named Emily Cutler goes, "That's a book. You should write a. You should write a book." Which had been in my mind. These stories, right? We always tell these stories, right? So, um, okay, that's um. Uh, let's put the other book. And so when I go to Mark Schiff because I figure this is too. I'm, I'm writing on this show. It's a lot of work to put all these stories together. I go to Mark and want to do it. And he said, yes. Yeah. So we we did it. You know we had people who contacted everybody could uh, transcribing almost everybody. It's a very difficult thing to do. And, Absolutely. Uh, we made we made some mistakes. Uh, we put a lot of time and effort. We had to pay people to type the, the tapes because everybody guys who comics just telling us on the phone. I'm like, uh, 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 you know, um, so glad we did it. But somebody was, uh, when are you gonna do that again? I said, never again. Couldn't never. do that again. There.
0: Did you never have there. like a favorite get? I mean, was there was there like a dream get for that? I mean, I know you. It's mostly your friends and stuff. But was there anybody that was a surprise?
1: Uh no I don't think so I mean it was like um everybody was you know there's Seinfeld I love the Seinfeld story you know um you know Jerry's working to catch a rising star I got to mention a lot of Jerry today I don't know why but and maybe maybe Larry 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 Miller Larry Miller Miller story Larry Miller you love Larry since he's Jerry's friend it comes right to mind so uh Larry gave us a story where he was working uh, with Todd Glass was a young comic who kind of booked Larry. They're going from Philly to a Jersey, uh, like a prom show, like a like he's gonna perform at a prom in Jersey, mm-hmm. high school prom. So Larry gets out there and he's got this joke. He says, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna do the joke correctly maybe but the joke basically is, you know, it's strange when you go back to high school, right? Because everything you did, that was bad and wrong. Now it's just kind of a joke. Hey, good to see you again, Mr. Miller. Remember when we set you on fire, right? Isn't that funny? Larry does this joke, which has gotten him laughs all the time. Right. He does not know that the week before a beloved teacher by the name of Mr. Miller had died in a fire. Oh my God. They think, they think he did it on purpose. They think Larry has done this on purpose. you insult them, you know, in, in in the ultimate display of bad taste so Todd they're angrily they're a mob a mob is angrily coming after Larry right and Todd and him are trying to fend them off and get out to their car and make their escape which they barely do oh <laughs> barely god. a mob of gym teachers and, <laughs> and, oh and coaches god. and students and parents oh my god I just,
0: I just saw Larry last night I've been watching old mad about You to go to sleep at night on my phone and larry played like franz like like some producer on mad about you
1: he's nah, you know, he's, he, you know he, he's always a great comedian and such a good actor i mean he's just you know best, best in show when he played the suicide counselor in best in show he's hilarious he's hilarious it doesn't
0: get, all right so last thing so kicking through the hole so what uh what what what's tell us about it
1: Kicking You're Through fine. the Ashes is- um, The ashes, uh, I'm
0: sorry. Yeah. I,
1: I tried to cover every aspect. That's oh, am Vicki. It's all right. Don't worry. It's been a long night. You, I, don't, you, I don't
0: even know, you know my know. kid's birthdays, let alone you,
1: the you, name you of your You had to be the tech operator for the show for the first half hour to get everything to work. I was amazed. I was watching. I just like watching this woman flip the hood of the car. She's inside there working on the carburetor. It was great. So so um, <laughs> this book- of, I just wanted to write up my journey, you know, just through the '80s, like getting into comedy, like I did in '77, and moving to New York. Hey, all before this. Where
0: you stuff. go there, kicking through the ashes? Why?
1: Why? Why ashes? It's, it's like you know, when a house burns down, they go. When yeah. oh, a house burned down, you see somebody in there kicking through the ashes of the house, trying to find something of value. Oh. And at the time when I wrote it, I thought that's the kind of metaphor for me in my career. I'm trying to find something of value to what all happened, wow. and if I can find some value here. And so I tried to cover every aspect of stand-up. I have a story about joke thievery. I have a story about you know. All right,
0: no, no, no. You got to stop there. You got to give us. You got to give us a joke thievery story. I'm sorry.
1: Short sure it is, I'm in Atlanta, and I I I got a system where you know I'm headlining, so I'd watch the, the opening acts at the beginning of the week, maybe the first one or two shows to mm-hmm. see what they were doing their acts, so I could do other material. I never told them you can't do that. Joke because i have a joke like that my job as a headliner is have enough jokes to run around any obstacles they put up there so i would just watch what the comics were doing and then say okay i'll drop this joke because that joke's kind of like theirs and i won't do this and that's it but i knew what so then i just put my headphones on and listen to music and not really pay attention to what the comics are doing because i I, this way i handled my nervous energy right Sunday, sunday night the last night for whatever reason I, I want to see where the comic is in his act. I guess I was distracted talking to somebody. So I want to see where the middle act is in the act. I take my headphones off, just in time to hear him do one of my jokes, word for word, one of my jokes. I go, oh, he just did one of my jokes. And then wait a minute, he did another one of my jokes. Then wait a minute, he's doing the whole bit. He's done oh, the whole, <laughs> whole, he's done, you know, four or five jokes, or then he later, two moments later, he does another one of my jokes. I see he's doing oh, and so I, run backstage there was a little backstage area at the, at the punchline atlanta just off to the side and it was just a place like a holding pen where the comics would come in and come out you know just enough that you stand there waiting to be introduced right and i come in there and the and the and the mc who who when i put this on facebook he came forward and said i was there that night he sees me coming he goes i know i go what's he doing he goes i don't know he's doing your act i said i doing bits after bits he's doing a lot of stuff Finally, he comes off. Biggeray, she comes off. He comes in there. He is shocked to see me. I grab him. I'm like, "What the fuck?" but I know I can't go too crazy because I can't get in a fight because I got to go out and perform for this audience, right? And and, and that will not work. And I, I just go, what are you doing? And I said, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I forgot you were still here. He's like, he, <laughs> forgot, I, he forgot I was there. He's like, I thought you were out of town and I could start doing your act. So, oh my God. God. That gets really bad because he leave. then that goes The comic goes out, he introduced me. I can't go out and go, hey, that guy just did a bunch of my stuff. You can't do that. You've oh, got to be cool. Course. So I'm trying to do crowd work. I'm trying to play with them because I really don't want to go into my act, but I go into my act and every once in a while, I'd hit a landmine, you know? I'd step on one of my own jokes and, and i do the joke and the audience would be like going, that other guy did that joke. I go, oh. I know, I'm just testing to see if you were paying attention. I gotta try, every time I gotta try to play out of it, you know? And so when I come what? off stage, the guy was gone. He was gone. He jumped in his car and drove back to Florida. He was from Florida. He, I, I got the guy's name written down somewhere. It doesn't matter. He never went anywhere. You know, it's just a story of joke thievery, but I had a bunch of stuff essay before I tell that story in a book. to show, what I thought about thievery, you know, you can't fight it. You know, I, I think it was Larry David or said that, you know, you just got to keep writing, you know, you got to outwrite them. You can't, they're, they're gonna steal. You can't do anything about that. And you know, the more I write, the it seems like it doesn't bother me because I'm just moving on anyway. You know, they're gonna steal jokes, they're gonna steal even premises that, that they've never seen before. You know, there had to be one comic that did their first CBS receipt, a six-foot-long joke that noticed how long the receipts were, right? There had to be one comic that noticed that first. Then everybody goes, Oh, the audience is laughing at that. They know how long the receipts are too. Now I can do a version of that. It's not just direct steals, there's right. you know, cracking the code. Some comic cracks the code and then the other comics come in and go, okay, they have cracked the code. I can now do that. So there's, wow. I wrote a whole bunch, that's one chapter. Then I do a chapter on heckling, then a chapter, you know, so it's all, and so then, then I heckling something that you were comfortable with clearly. I clearly, because I grew up with it. To me, it was just, when I grew up with, we would just go back and forth, busting each other's balls in New Jersey. That's what I grew up with. My friends and I, we didn't make fun of each other. That means you didn't care about each other. That's how we showed affection, right? It's how twisted we are. But, but the heckling, sometimes the 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 audience just seeing if you're there and present that night. They want to see whether you're there or, or you're on remote control. And sometimes they want to see if you're qualified to fly the airplane. I mean, you are up there with a the microphone, all the power in the world then that night. They want to see whether you're qualified to be there. They're just testing a little bit. And as soon as you show them that you got the, you know, ability to dance with them then they back off and sometimes they're drunk and obnoxious and sometimes they're antagonistic. but i i never you know i mean they, they always say clubs would always say you have a code word where you know you say that code word and we throw them out See, you know my code word is kick them the fuck out that's my code word <laughs> i don't i don't have you know it's like i play and play and then drunks you can only go so far with you have to be you can kick a guy you can kick a guy all night long and it's okay. You had to be careful. Careful. This is my day. And I don't know what it's like now. With drunken women, you had to be like, you can't treat her, a drunken, obnoxious, heckling woman, like you would a drunken, obnoxious, heckling guy. You know, because the audience eventually will go, you're beating her up, man. And you're a guy. And you should you know what I mean? There's a different stance.
0: Yes, there is a different standard. And
1: I wrote about these things in the book. I write about them. And then I write a story about, a biggest story I had about a heckling. So I, I did that with every subject I could. And then I wrote stories about Bill Hicks or Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. I wrote chapters about Jay Leno, Mike McDonald, my friend, or, you know, Sam Kennison. I wrote stories about people, you know.
0: And you, okay, I, I keep asking for more. Do you have one one story that you can share with us of all those people you mentioned? About I don't who? know, pick one. <laughs> uh, Sam Kinnison, how about Sam since he's gone
1: so Sam you know we're hanging out and we we get this gig uh o- over in UCLA we're just doing UCLA it's like about 1985 spring of 85 mm-hmm. and we're still drinking I'm still drinking a drug maybe 80 I don't know whatever it was we're doing UCLA mm-hmm. and this young comic's driving us over there and we're driving over to UCLA Sam says listen man uh you got to close I said Sam I'm not following you man <laughs> He was really starting to get good at the store. He was really getting, you know, this is a, just an in-town make a couple hundred bucks drug money that night, you know, gig over see, UCLA, go over, come back to the comedy store, plenty of time to do another set, improv do a set. So um, <clears throat> he says, no, no, man, the kids will hate me. Trust me, they're going to hate me. And if I don't do well, you know, it's it's okay, you, you'll close the show. But if if I do so well that you can't follow me, I'll give you my money and I'll still buy the drugs for later. I said, well, I can't <laughs> can't go wrong, right? Can't go wrong with a deal like that. That's <laughs> all right. So we get out there and Sam goes up and he does his act, you know, his whole act. The, this is the phase of a marriage. Ah, ah, right. He's doing, and they're not buying it. They're just really they, they're not laughing. He's doing his whole bit. And uh and then when he gets, over, but he doesn't, you know, this is what the, the difference is between Sam, and he, he doesn't piss him off. He doesn't turn on the audience, he takes the beating. The worst thing you do as a middle act, right? Is to piss off the audience before the headliner comes off, right? I mean, it's the worst thing to do as an opener for anybody is piss off the audience. Sam doesn't, takes his meeting, comes off. I go on, I have a great set. We're partying later. Sam goes, I know college kids don't like me, man. They don't get me, they don't like me. Then he does Rodney, which comes out that summer. Rodney's show, and Mm -hmm. Sam blows up. I mean- Oh, Oh God,
0: that was the young comedian special.
1: Me. So, I mean, I was I was doing gigs opening up for Little Feet down in the South. Mm-hmm. And we came out to go do a gig to the next gig, right? That Sunday morning after Saturday night, the show was on. And right. every guy in the band was doing Sam. Ah, ah, they were all, I said, <laughs> Sam is gone, man. He is. I sh-
0: want my records back. That's when he did, I want my records back. Right all there.
1: that, all that. Yeah. So I come back to LA and I don't know, sometime later. Sam walks up to the comedy store. And says, "Hey, Rich, I just got a gig at UCLA for fifteen thousand dollars. <laughs> you got to come see this." So I go over and watch. He kills, destroys, and I'll bet money, many in that crowd were at that gig we did the spring right. before. Wow! But he, he, it, every something changed. Sam changed just a little bit. The the atmosphere in the country, the zeitgeist, did change a little. Well, what they was were, the
0: time frame between the two? It,
1: uh, probably six months, eight months, maybe nine months. Somewhere. Wow! He 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 hit that that desert bit. You know that we are the world. You know, pack up your bags. We're gonna get some new and move you out of here because you live in a desert and nothing grows in a desert. We no got deserts. deserts. We don't live there. You know why? Because the deserts, sand, nothing grows. So
0: move where that, the food is. Wasn't that move where the food is?
1: Yeah, that's it. Move where the food is. That's it. So, so um, it was just something different. And plus um, it was his time, just his yeah.
0: time. Wow, Rich. So, all right, so here we are, the pandemic's winding down. What, what, what's cooking for you now moving forward? I mean, are you leaving your house yet? What are you doing? You going to see your parents? Oh Yeah, yeah, before? yeah,
1: we're going out, right? We're going out right now. You know, we're, 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 uh, I'm starting to try to book some dates for that history show. We have friends visiting from L.A. this weekend. We're going to go out and see some shows. So we're doing stuff. We're going to see some live wait, music shows.
0: Wait, wait. They're doing live music in venues, like, inside?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's 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 reduced capacity, you know? So instead mm-hmm. of, you know, 100%, it's like 25 30%, something like that. So reduced capacity, wear a mask, and enjoy the music. And so we have some friends coming. We'll go, there's some restaurants are seating inside. Same thing, reduced capacity. But they also have a lot of, Patio restaurants here in Asheville. Right. Still mm-hmm. So we have some friends coming. They've had their shots. We've had our shots.
0: And you you're fe- are you fearless about going to venues that are inside and stuff? Because yeah. I'm still,
1: okay. yeah. I'm not, I'm not like, I feel like I got the shot. I mean, I feel like I'm inoculated. I feel like I still stay away from people, wear my mask for them and for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm um, okay right now. And how about the work? What what
0: Have you been writing so- through the pandemic?
1: I am just continue writing, you know, I'm gonna writing, um, I wrote this, you know, um, working on another book and uh, on the history of stand-up comedy, just basically based on the show that I do, right, on the history of stand-up comedy, and um, did some work with other people, writing stuff for them. And, you wrote,
0: uh, did you, write, you wrote the screenplay of Bill Morris, of True, I love True Story, it's.
1: Yeah, I did write, I did write a screenplay, I mean, it, it, he was going to adapt it, um, you know, the, he liked the screenplay I did for him, adapting of his book. But uh, then that show, the Showtime thing, came out. I'm dying up here. Came mm-hmm. out. It was the same era, about 1979, 1980. Mm-hmm. So um, Bill kind of shelved his HBO plans then, and I don't know whether he's going to bring it back now that that show's been off for a year or two or not. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I did rewrite. I did write the adaptation. Of the book's a good book, really good book.
0: It's a wonderful book. I love that book. Very very funny. Well, Rich, I uh, you, I don't know that I had expectations, but you exceeded all of them. This was so fun, and uh,
1: I learned some
0: things. You're fun.
1: You're fun. You're fun. Thank you. You're a good interviewer. You're fun. Thank you.
0: Thank you. I just love this. Thank you so much for your patience up top, trying to get through all this technical stuff. We we never got the notification sent out, but I'll just be posting it all over the place. And the people who are let me know. Let me know, and
1: I'll I'll put a thing. uh, uh, You know,
0: excellent. Um, We don't, but just be warned. Facebook doesn't add views. People will watch it, but they just won't click them. They won't add them, but it doesn't matter as long as people see it. That's all that matters um thank you so much have a wonderful evening have a wonderful weekend with your friends from la thank you thanks, so Rick. much for doing this i look forward to to next time
1: all right thanks vicky take care Bye-bye, bye bye rich